your hosts, Rain Carnegie and Britt Lovesin. Rainbow Rain Carnegie, Britain, B Love, not hate, Loveson. How's it going, everyone? Thank you for tuning in. We're here with episode nine. My hockey, minor league hockey number growing up. And also the number of lives I had as well. Nine <laughs> lives like a cat. Did you have that one planned? You had that like in the chamber. No, as soon as you said it, I just, I just came from the hip. Okay. Just quick with it. That was quick good. with it. That was good. That was good. <laughs> it takes away from my awesome number, but that was great. I'm yeah, gonna, your number's I'm decent. Gonna, seven's I, better. I gotta give you seven. Was really good. I can't, I can't hate on seven. And we had a great guest there. Yes, we did. But today's wow. guest, all you TikTokers, hockey TikTokers, Instagrammers, all you young kids. Growing up in the hockey world. In Imposters! Game, get ready. Imposters like, you are because we have the original. We have the pioneer. Call him the professor. You do call him the professor, I call him the right? professor. I call does, him the professor. Does anyone call him the professor? Or is that like... I think that... I, I hope that this is a new thing. We're going we're gonna to hashtag professor I like on anything that this I guest like does. So, you know, and our guest... Mr. Rob Schrem. Rob Schrem. Okay. So this guy, he's done it all. He's been like a, a child phenom in hockey. I, 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 I don't often get speechless. Or like, if I, like I said, if I, if, if I wasn't this complexion, you would see the blush come in <laughs> because I've been a fan of this. I'm a super fan of Mr. Rob Schrem. And it's insane. Like, he started at such a young age where... All eyes, all on eyes on him. him. All eyes you know, on him. Like everybody tuned in to this kid from you know small town Fulton, USA. Uh, you know New York State. Yep. Rob Schrem got all the the skills, all the goal scoring and you know playmaking abilities. Uh, all the, like just the, all the talent in the world. In the world. And he did it at every stage. Every stage. Like. He was, Every stage. you know, probably, I don't even know how many goals he scored in oh. minor hockey. Like, <laughs> I don't even know how many goals he scored in junior hockey. I just know that all he does it's, is it's, score and what he's doing um, with, with uh, the work he's doing and giving back to the game uh, is, is so impactful for sure. uh, and so cool. It's a tool that we're going to talk about when we yeah. get him on our show uh, that I think every hockey player needs to have in their repertoire. So I'm so excited to have this guest. Like I said, super fan from the time I was a kid. Sure. Uh, even though I'm older than he he was or he is, um, you know, my admiration for his skill set and the way that he conducted himself and the way that he treated me as a mm -hmm. kid, young kid, as a minority coming through the game, uh, wasn't always easy. Mm -hmm. uh, especially when you have somebody like Rob Shrimp with that stature to also have that, you know, respect and charisma and just genuinely just a nice kid. Flamboyant kid, yeah. Flashy kid, yeah. but competitive, competitive kid, competitive yeah. kid. Competitive yeah. kid. Yeah. He he was the cream of the crop. Definitely. So so excited to have him. On Definitely, show. and you know we're gonna touch on all those stuff. We're gonna talk about you know his career in in the states. We're gonna talk about his going lots first, of stuff. First overall, lots of stuff. OHL, hundred percent. You know his his overseas career. Yep. His you know 
all that razzle-dazzle, the lacrosse stuff. See it all. Uh, stay tuned to Rob Shrimp. But before we get to there, we're going to do our weekly, you know, small business shout-out. Yep. Um, so this important. week is, you know, this story is, is just crazy to me. Um, a good friend of mine, uh, Spencer Fox and his partner, Dews, um, they opened a restaurant just before the first lockdown. So they sunk like X amount of dollars, lots of money into this place, revamped the place. And, you know, it was, it was their passion. This was going to be their dream, their baby. And I think they opened for maybe a week or two. I had my baby shower there just wow. before, wow. you know, me and Courtney, uh, wow. we, we got to have all our friends there, no. you know, and it was, it was so nice and all that. It was so great. And then the lockdown hit and, you know, I'm just, I was so sad for them because I know what, what they're doing and what they're capable of doing is just, you know, they got to get their chance. So this, this is an important one for me. Um, Spencer Fox is the type of guy you bring him to the cottage and you got like a five-star Michelin chef with you. Wow. You know, he's, wow. he's on the barbecue. He's wow. making his homemade sauces. You're getting like, you know, taco Tuesdays uh, at the cottage. Nice. And he's got his own like jalapeno sauce. It's, you know, he's just a, a Spencer, wizard. I need to get your phone number. You need to come <laughs> over and treat me and my family to a nice Man, meal. The guy's a wizard. Like even you go to the park, Spencer's got a hibachi out and he's cooking for 30 guys That's and amazing. girls and, you know, everyone's eating and it's always coming out like perfectly. The guy amazing. is a wizard in the kitchen. Uh, the Annex Social. Annex Social. Okay? You know, They've only been open for a little bit, but they're already known for like one of the best smash burgers. Woo! Like, I don't know, like people love smash burgers. They crush that thing down and it's so juicy. I had one before I came today, full disclosure. Didn't bring one for the boys. <laughs> and if you like, if you like uh, spice, they have a, a burger. It's called uh, the green chili burger. It's like this jalapeno, like. Oh my god. Oh like, my god. Oh my You're god. You're making me hungry. I haven't had like, dinner yet. So these guys, they're just, you know, go Where are they where are they located? So they're located located at 1078 Bathurst Street in Toronto. Um, you know, they're just surviving. What time are they open until? Because I need to... I think to... they go to 11. I okay. I think they go to 11. Okay. So you can get there, hopefully, if we wrap this up, you know. Cool. Um, but yeah, so they're just surviving by the, the skin of their teeth right now. Like I said, they, they got shut down before they could got even open, open you right. know. And yeah. uh, I think they're right now doing a little retail in the front of the, the store where he's... He's like pickling his own, you know, beets and making his own hot peppers. Wow. And, you know, the guy's wow. a wizard. wizard. Spencer Fox. Wizard. The Annex Social. Annex Social. Go see Dues and uh, Angela. Great people behind the bar. They'll take care of you. Um, Bathurst and DuPont, 1078 Bathurst Street in Toronto. Go support the Annex Social. Do it! Support I will. local. Support local. It's so important. important. So mm -hmm. important. But uh, without further ado, moving to our next segment with our amazing guest, Rob Shrimp. Speechless. <laughs> All right, moving along here to a very special guest that we have on our show today. 
Like I'm, I'm like shaking like a yeah. dog. Like I'm so <laughs> excited right now. You have no idea. Super excited. Super excited. Yeah. So you know, why don't you tell uh, our audience? I, 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 I'm a little bit of a super fan. If I, if, if I was your complexion, I might be blushing right now, because this guest that we have right now uh, is an idol of mine. Literally, he's younger than I am, but he's an idol of mine. Uh, he's somebody that I looked up to, uh, admired, you know, the way that he went about his business. Uh, and he always treated me with a lot of respect when, you know, growing up being a minority uh, in the game of hockey, you know, sometimes you don't have those relationships, especially from people of this stature. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest, Mr. I'd like to call him the professor, oh. Rob Shrimp, ladies and gentlemen. Hey boys, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. Yeah! No problem. Oh my God. That's, that's oh my, oh my God. Is it really him? It's a, it's a, oh my God. Thanks for joining us uh, live from uh, Latvia. I think it's a little later there. What is it, 12, 12 a.m. your time there? or? Yeah, yeah, about seven hours ahead of you boys. Wow. We appreciate that. We appreciate that. You all right? I'm speechless. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> how, how, how are you? Great to see you, buddy. It's been wow. a long time, man. It's, it's great to been, get back together. It's been way, way too long, brother. And I'm so excited. Uh, that you said yes, and, and, and that you're here, and you showed up, and he showed up. He showed up like he's done his whole life, and, and Robbie, you know, um, I've, I've, I've thought the world of you from the time I first laid my eyes on you, uh, back when we were probably, I think I was 14 or 15 playing in, do you remember the Prospects Tournament? That yeah, used to be held yeah. at Etobicoke Ice Sports, home yeah. of the Toronto Marley organization. And, that was and electric. That was it, the pandemonium for this kid that was on this agent, Scott Norton's hockey team. What were, what were you guys called? Sunset Coast Management Bulls. Sunset Coast Bulls. Yeah. That's right. Because he had, because he, was he a part owner of the championship team? He always had that championship. Yeah. His family, the family owned, uh, Mickey Norton, his mother owned part of the Bulls and part of the White Sox. So they had a pretty cool sporting background he always rocked that ring yeah the, the Chicago Bulls championship ring he was proud as a, he was proud as a peacock with that <laughs> as he as he should be but but also yeah, I think true. one of his I think his 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 next sacred belonging uh outside of that championship Bulls ring <laughs> was Rob <Trump. laughs> yeah. because I'm telling you you've been to Etobicoke Ice Sports oh yeah for sure there's not a lot of seating yeah and people were like hey who's this kid they're dumping all over each other trying to and your warm-up was, I mean, your warm-up, what you used to do with that puck, the, what do you call it, the lacrosse, yeah. like back and forth, yeah. you would do this trick where you put the puck between, I mean, I don't want to, yeah. you know, speak for the man that we have here, but I'm such a super fan. Yeah. I'm such a I appreciate it. It's kind of getting a little weird now, right? I'm you've sorry. already, I'm you've sorry. Got, you're going a little far okay. now. You're making the guy uncomfortable. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's awesome, man, that you guys shared those moments together, and we're going to dive into some of that stuff. I mean, like, what you're doing now, you have uh, an amazing program going on, uh, 44 Vision, so you're still in the hockey world, but we're going to take it back. I we're going to take it back. We want to we wanna touch upon, Rob, uh, it's, not, it's not often that you have an opportunity, you know, there's just the NFL draft that happened, NHL draft, um, but you were the first overall pick in the Ontario Hockey League draft. Uh, back in, I think, 2002? Was that the draft that you guys were? Or was it yeah. 2002? 2001, 2002. Right. Yeah. 
so so can you can you walk us through you know what life was like as literally a phenom um, coming through you know uh, the Syracuse crunch uh, which led you the opportunity to get drafted first overall by the Mississauga Ice Dogs. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. You know, it was kind of a uh, pretty hectic couple of years from the time I turned. 11 years old to 14, 15 years old, you know, just things were going really fast and a lot of development and, you know, right around 12 years old, I started getting a lot of attention and, um, you know, I started meeting with a lot of agents. You know, I got a chance to have dinner with Bobby Orr at 13 years old. I met with everybody, I mean, Wayne Gretzky's agent, the IMG, and, and made a movie with Wayne Gretzky when I was 12. Wayne Gretzky's trained to win. So this stuff was all a whirlwind. At 10 years old, I was playing like travel hockey, not triple A hockey, like, travel hockey, just small little towns around you know, central New York and basically just played, you know, the winter time would come, you played hockey. I loved the game, but I wasn't, I wasn't like, you know, extremely passionate about it per se. And then you know, I hit a big growth spurt at like 11 years old. I had a really big year playing AAA. That's when I switched over to AAA, started playing a lot of tournaments up in Canada. And that 11 year old year I had between 350 and 400 goals, things started to really come together. So you know, from there, 12 years old, I played Bantam Major against the older kids, 14, 15 year olds, again at 13. And then at 14, I was playing the OPJHL, um, you know, at Terra Provincial Hockey League. And that, that was kind of an eye opener and really the next step and challenging my game. And uh, once I started playing that league, a lot of scouts were in the game, like all the rinks were pretty packed with scouts, whether it be OHL or college scouts. And it seemed to be that, you know, the progression started from there. And uh, yeah, my 15 year old year, I had a really good year in the OP and a lot of talk about where I'd go in the draft. It was myself and Wes O'Neill were kind of that one and two punch of, for young guys coming up. There's a plenty of good kids though, like uh, Wojtek Wolski was there, Evan McGrath, David Boland. You know, there was 86 years, a pretty good year. Well, 85 was kind of tough to compete with. You, I think we all know <laughs> how powerful that, that group is, but uh, you know, 86 had some really good players at that time too. Um, but after that, so I, I won an award for top player in, in the OP at 15. And then that, you know, that summer was the draft and Mississauga took me first overall. So it was, it was a pretty wild time from, again, from like probably 12 years old to 15 and then getting drafted at just turning 16. It was a lot going on, you know, trying to figure it out. And we didn't really come from a hockey background per se. My dad played almost every other sport, baseball, football, basketball. So it's kind of, we were kind of just winging it as a so, family and trying to figure out a way. So, so a couple things there. One, if your family doesn't have a hockey background per se, how did you get into hockey? And then two, I wanted, you, you, you said that you played two years. So as a 14 year old, you played in the, in the, in the OP as a 14 year old. So is that like yeah. a, is that like a double exceptional player in today's <laughs> world? Like now to be an exceptional player, it's 15, 15 yeah. but you did it at 14. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my yeah, God, I'm in love. <laughs> it was wild. So, I mean, band of majors I played, and it was just something where I, I did really well at that level of band of major for two years. And then, again, those things were progressing fast for me. And, it, you know, there was a couple of chances. Even at 12, um, Don Kernan, uh, you know, a great mentor of mine, we were talking about possibly playing a game in the, in the USHL. It was North American League. The Rochester Americans had a team in the North American Hockey League. And I went out and did a practice with him. And I, I actually did a really, I had a really good skate or whatever. And I showed a pretty good, you know, foot forward, but uh, they ended up shutting it down because I was 12 years old and obviously playing against 20 year olds, if I would have got hurt, it would have been an insurance kind of thing. So 
uh, it would have been pretty cool to do that, take that challenge, but I, there's a good chance I probably would have got killed. Somebody would have been like, you know, this 12 year old punk, get him off the ice, <laughs> probably taking me off the ice. But yeah, so I jumped on at 14. I think that was the proper step. Cause again, being a major, I, I, the first year, um, at 12, it was, you know, a big learning curve for the first 10 games, but you know, probably the last 40, 50 games of the year, I was one of the best players at that level. And then 13, the next year, I kind of, for lack of a better way to put it, but I dominated and then I needed to take that next step. So junior was the next step and get a chance to go play against those, you know, Canadian boys, big, tough guys. And a lot of that league was, it was like a nice mix of there was, you know, the 16, 17, 18 year olds looking for scholarships, but there was also like 18, 19 year olds that would kind of come out of the OHL or even 20 year olds that came out of the OHL. Um, and they would make that league, you know, it made that league better. And it was, it was a good league. So, it was a really good challenge for me at that age. Sure. Uh, going back to your question, how I got into it, my cousin Jeff and Chris both played high school hockey. My uncle Mike was big into hockey. So that's how my brother and I kind of got into it. And uh, Chris went to play on at Brown University and Jeff played lacrosse at Clarkson University. So uh, Jeff was actually on the bench for my, you know, long time. He was my coach going all the way up till, uh, till I went to junior at 14. Jeff was on the bench. He was always an assistant coach and like the, uh, you know, the camaraderie guy for the boys, he was the door opener, the water bottle guy, get everybody riled up. He wasn't, you know, the X's and O's, but he was, he was definitely someone that we needed on the bench and great for the group. For That's sure. Awesome. Um, so you mentioned, uh, you know, growing up playing, you're a, you're a New York uh, native, born in uh, Fulton, uh, USA. Um, you know, your top prospect in the States, like you said, you know, mentioned 10, 12 years old, really, you know, lighting the lamp. Um, we've had agents on our show or a agent on our show. We had a, a player scout and they kind of talked about, you know, um, where players go after, you know, their minor midget year, uh, there's D one and there's OHL, there's juniors and stuff. Was that like always for you, the place to be, was that the pinnacle, the OHL for like your era when you were coming up in, uh, the minor hockey world? Uh, well, there's a guy, Tim Conley, that grew up 10 miles away from me. And Tim Conley was an absolute stud uh, growing up, like, around that area. And it wasn't just about around that area. This guy was, like, on the map uh, everywhere. You know, he went top to the 10, Top compared. 10 NHL draft pick, wasn't he, Tim? Yeah, he was his fifth, yeah. uh, fifth overall fifth pick. Overall. Yeah. Oh, fifth overall, right? Fifth or sixth to the Islanders. Islanders, that's right. And, uh, and like, he went to the Trinity Quebec at 12 with Don Kern, and they won the tournament. It was him. Uh, they had a stack team, Drew Bucktooth. Um, I want to say JD Forrest. There was a bunch of guys at that 80, 82, 81, 82 birth year. And from there, that really put him on the map. And then from like, same kind of thing with him at like 12 to 15, 16, he was an absolute stud. And I got a chance to always watch him. Again, Don Kerner was our mutual mentor. So watching Timmy, it was kind of like, I wanted to follow his path. So it wasn't so much like in the area where like OHL was, king sort of thing we didn't really know anything about the ohl we just knew that timmy did it so then there's kind of like that and i love i idolized him watching it. this guy was unbelievable i've never seen so much puck control that, than that guy had and it was you. sick i watched him one time yeah i tried to emulate it and that's that was my you know it's a nice bar for me to chase because that was close to impossible timmy was nasty with the puck uh one time i watched him dangle the dangle this guy so bad he came in fake threw his legs got it back pulled it back to a four and took a snapshot this was just out of practice hits the crossbar and the puck just split in two and that like blew my mind the guy could rip the puck as well uh so he was really a nice kind of 
sort of a rabbit for me to chase, you know what I mean? Follow his path and be as good as he was. And, and it, it helped me kind of elevate my game because I wanted, I wanted to be as good as Timmy. But back to the question, OHL was, yeah, he went to Erie and that's seeing that I kind of was, and again, the way my, uh, I guess my career was sort of Trajectory. developing. I needed, I did, you know, at 15, I had, I think it was around 95 or 96 points at 15. Like, then I started thinking like, how could I play at this level for three more years? Right. So I wanted to take the next step as far as challenging my game and, uh, you know, taking a shot. It became a little bit more clear at that moment, you know, especially with all that buzz that maybe the NHL wasn't so far fetched and uh, that the OHL would probably be the best route to try to get there, you know, 18, 19 years old. And, and just curious, uh, did you get any, like, packages for any NCAA D1s or anything like that? Was any of that presented to you? Or was it just like, hey, you're probably going top five in the OHL draft. Like, this is the best. I'll, speak for, I'll speak for you, Robbie, because I already know the story. Mm. It wasn't that he was going top five. It was, he's, he's being nice, and Wes O'Neill <laughs> was a good hockey player, but everybody knew if Shrimp was coming to the, to, to the Ontario Hockey yeah. League, he was going first overall. Okay. I, think, <laughs> I think everybody knew, like, two years in advance that the first overall pick, whoever had it, mm-hmm. was going to be taking this kid. Yeah. But in saying that, he probably, as an American, I would imagine, yeah, it's had, just a, lot of oppor- to know, had like, a lot of opportunities yeah. at the uh, collegiate there's level. A, there's a lot of rules with NCAA, so there was not, I mean, I was only 14, 15, right? So there's, you know, usually with scouting and recruiting for NCAA, it's actually like you're I think it's your going into your senior year they can start talking to you or a certain age mm. so at 14 15 I went to the chowder cup a couple times and uh, actually yeah it was 14 15 and that's where there's a ton of scouts there a ton of schools there that chowder cup is more geared towards that like a lot of d1 schools in that area come to it um and I you know a couple couple scouts or, or yeah a couple scouts talked to my family but it was way too early and it was it was not something uh and they kind of said that to my family too. We, we can see where his projections going and he's probably not even going to be thinking the school route. So uh, to answer that question, no, not really. I think one time we got something in the, in the mail from Yale. Uh, I don't know what the letter was, but it, it was kind of comical because there's not a chance. If I was going to go to school, it wouldn't have been Yale. It wasn't going to be an I. <laughs> not a chance. So it was pretty comical. My dad and I had a good laugh about that. That's amazing. So, so now that we've... Uh gotten that out of the way it was ohl or bust (laughs) first round yeah you get drafted first overall um was it 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 was like one of the worst kept secrets out there (laughs) right but but you got drafted to an iconic person's team don cherry yeah can you share what you know that experience was like being you know first a first overall pick and the expectations that come with that and how you were able to manage those and thrive. Uh, you, had, you, had, you had a really good year, your underage year. Um, but also, you know, living in the shadow of, I would have, like, Don Cherry's, uh, you know, he, he doesn't often take a back seat, right? <laughs> so, so you being the first overall pick and you had a lot of, you know, uh, pandemonium and fandemonium around you. Did that ever, was there any, any, any stories there of butting heads between, you know, the shadow that Don Cherry and Rob Shrimp bring to uh, a venue? No, not at all. They, uh, honestly, Don Cherry is exactly the opposite of who he is on TV. Uh, from my experience, he's such a nice person, soft-spoken, gentle guy, unbelievable guy to have a conversation with, uh, so, such a friendly person. Uh, it was actually Don, Don uh, Grapes, Trevor Whiffen, and their crew drafted me, and then 
about a month later, the team was transitioned over to uh, a new ownership group and Steve Ludzig. So, uh, but Don was around my first year all the time and he was, he was so helpful. He always come down with things that he saw in the game. He watched a lot of games, was in person for a lot of games. So he was really instrumental in, in just giving guys tips and, you know, see what he's, what he saw in the game, maybe if it would help. So it was never, uh, watching him on TV is hard because he's, it's not, for me, it's not who he is, you know, he's way different. So, um, super nice guy and seeing, you know, kind of what he got, you know, went through with his departure at the end was tough. And I, I love, I love the guy a lot. He was awesome. He was super nice and easy to get, you know, be around. And it was never about, he had no ego at all or no clash of any sort. So, um, he was around a short period of time. They drafted me and literally kind of handed me off to the new, the new management. So I was kind of their, I guess their departing gift to the new, new management as he was leaving. So, uh, it was, yeah, it was the first overall pick was something that was, I took a lot of pride in, you know, I think at that age, you always want to challenge, you want to be the best. And if you don't want to be the best, then, you know, it's, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> I want to be the best. Um, you know, that's, and it was, we were proud of that. And I worked hard to get there and getting drafted. But even when I got drafted, it was an eye opener. You know, when I first came to that first, you know, I got to that first training camp, uh, you know, going from like four years of, I would have to say kind of catered to a little bit as a player, I was playing, scoring a bunch of goals, always had the puck and was always the top guy. And then you get to camp and there's Patrick O'Sullivan, you know, it's who's one of the most skilled players I've ever seen on the ice as well. And you just, your eyes open up, you're like, Oh crap. And the other <laughs> thing was, to be honest with you, I didn't, I wasn't prepping. I wasn't, you know, running mountains and stuff like that, getting ready for camp. I was just kind of cocky 15 year old kid. Like I'm going to go light it up. Yep. And I got to camp and I, I didn't light it up. You still had what? 70 some odd points. Like you're still, yeah, but it took me a minute. You know, it took me a minute. It took me a month to get used to the league. You know, there's a lot of good players, man. You know that like, yep. I mean, Eric Stahls, the Mike Richards, there was, you know, the league was stacked with 85s. Yep. And those are a year older than me. And, you know, that OP got me ready for it, for the physicality of it. It wasn't about the physicality. Because, I mean, my 14, 15-year-old year, I was, like, playing well. And some of these older Canadian kids would get pissed off and they'd be breaking sticks over me, you know, cross-checking. I, I didn't care like that. I got used to that physical part of it. It doesn't scare me or didn't make me nervous. What was surprising was, like, the level. You know, these guys executed so fast and did high-end skilled stuff. So it was uh, a different way of opening my eyes. And, you know, so... It took me a month to get used to it. Again, I, I didn't. I think I scored my first goal like maybe twelve games into the season. Where in the OP, I was I was ringing crossbars, scoring a goal or two goals a game, and you know, so it was an eye opener. But you know, Steve Ludzik was instrumental in that as well. He was an amazing coach. He's one of the, my best coaches I've ever had. He was he was so awesome, supportive, pushed me, drove me. I, I showed up to camp fat. I was I was like eighteen percent body fat, and he was like, "You're gonna get in shape, and you're gonna learn what it's gonna be a pro." And that was something that changed my career a lot. And I'm very appreciative of it to this day. Uh, he was like a, a second father to me and, and really took me under his wing. So uh, again, it was, I had some good, good support cast there and it was, it was a great first year. I, I ended up good, but the beginning was, was tough. You know, it was an adjustment for sure. And shout out to Steve Ludzik. You know, he has his foundation, Ludzik uh, Strong. Uh, Ludzik so, Strong. 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 So uh, he's a great Ludzie man in the, in the industry for sure. And, and I've heard nothing but great things. I never had the fortune to meet him, but I've heard nothing but great things about him as well. Now, so, so now you have kind of like a second father, Ludzi, who takes you under his wing, teach you how to be a pro, and we go into our draft year. And 
three games in, I think you're at the top of the leaderboard in, in terms of points. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. well, well, well on your, like, I think you had six points in the first three games of the year, averaging two yeah. points a game yeah. in a draft year. It's <laughs> a um, good start. <laughs> that's a, I mean, if that doesn't have first overall at the NHL level written yeah. all over it, I don't know what it is. But then all of a sudden get traded. Well, also, uh, Fuda, last episode, was talking about, because I wanted to wonder about this too, uh, and Fuda was talking about uh, Bissonnette coming to his room and being like, hey, are you going to make a trade for me? I want to get out of right, Sa- right, right. Uh, Saginaw and come to Owen Sound. And so on we- our last episode, uh, Paul Bissonnette, yeah. uh, Mike Fuda made, made reference that Paul was the captain in Saginaw, and <laughs> at the end of their game in Owen Sound, went off the ice with the Owen Sound attack and went into Fuda's dressing room when he was the general manager and, be, and was wearing the Saginaw jersey and being like, when are you trading for me after he had just played against the Saginaw Spirit? No way. And then he traded for it. Yeah, like, it was so tampering, like so much tampering. Oh, but that, what I was getting at was like, is that kind of a situation with you? Because, man, you, you do well, you have a great rookies well who's walking into a room you got six (laughs) points in three games in the draft year no but like is there a funny story to it like because who trades a first overall they better have gotten a wayne gretzky return for trading you (laughs) to london what's the deal did the hunters like have you know some sort of deal in place like what happened like yeah no it was wild so after the first year the management changed again they sold the team and new management came in and uh Right out of the gate, it was rocky with, uh, I don't know why, uh, to be, I can't speak on their behalf, but I mean, right out of the gate, the GM cornered me and, and, and disrespected me and, and was talking really in a way I yeah. couldn't believe it, to be honest with you, you know, and I didn't disagree with his message. You know, I would just be honest. I, I wasn't a big person with school. Uh, I would rat all my eggs in a basket of playing hockey and he, he kind of cornered me and basically called me a punk and told me what I was going to do. And that didn't sit well with me. That was the start of it. And then after that, it was like other stuff with, with having, uh, you know, with our family and our contract and stuff like that. It was really bizarre. And it was, turned out to be a distraction. I, I couldn't believe it. I didn't know why it was happening. I didn't have any, I didn't even know these people before they took over the team. So I don't know why it came in like that, but they came in guns blazing, I guess, at us. And it got to the point after about two months after training camp and, and you know, the start of the season, I just said, I can't deal with this. I can't focus on hockey. I just, it's just, it's draft year. I'm, the last five years of my life, I've invested in, in getting to this year, and this is how it's going. I'm like, I'm out. So if, if, trade me by Friday. If you don't, you know, with, I was with Norts, and North, that was the advice that I was getting, and it's such a distraction that we should move. And I was like, okay. So, you know, I'm obviously, I'm not speaking. Norts is speaking for me. They set a date to, to get me traded. It was on a Friday. We played Guelph that day, and that game I had – I think I had a goal and two assists to go six points in three games, or it might even been six points in two games or something like that. Three or two, but it doesn't really matter. After the game, they still hadn't executed a trade. We gave them a list of teams and they didn't do it. So I walked and went to the U S program for, to, to wait for a trade. It was that bad. I mean, that's the way she goes, you know, looking back on it, it was probably, it, it, and I remember walking out the door and, and the coach there was actually a good guy. It had nothing to do with the coach. Greg Gilbert was an amazing guy. I respected the hell out of him and really liked him a lot. It, it just was the other shit away from like outside of the room. That was such a distraction. It was like, 
I can't focus. I couldn't, it pissed me off. And it was like, you know, it was offensive to us and our family didn't take it well. And it was a scenario where the, what they were trying to do would make it so my family couldn't come watch my family. My mom and dad were at almost every game that I ever played. And at this point they couldn't afford to make it. So <laughs> it was like, what are you, like, what are you doing? We didn't come in as a first overall and ask for anything really special. Like, you know, we didn't come in and say, give us a mansion and give us a car or give us anything. It was literally like gas money to get there and like hotels to stay in. So that's the confusing part of it. And it was like, F this, like, nope. here's the five teams that we chose, have it done by Friday or we're leaving. And I, on the way out, Gilbert was, he said, Rob, I, I, I understand what you're going through. And he's like, I just want to let you know, like, if you do this, it's going to throw up red flags, you know? And I just looked at him, I was like, I don't know what to do, man. I honestly don't know what to do. I got advice from my agent, and, you know, this is bugging the hell out of us. I got to follow my direction and I followed my direction and, and he was bang on it. I definitely raised flags. <laughs> was, yeah. I had to answer that question 30, 30 times when I went to my combine and draft meetings, it was nonstop questions about that. And, wow. you know, everything you don't want to talk about. I'd rather talk about hockey and what, how it could help a club if they yeah, drafted me instead. It was more like, why'd you get traded and this, that, and the other. So, Sorry for making. Uh, that was a long year, man. So, sorry for making you relive that again. <laughs> oh, it's all good, man. I'm over it. <laughs> and, it and it turned out to be, you know, pretty beneficial move for yourself, and I, I you had a lot of success. That we're gonna start getting into the London, uh, the London Knights, years, the London Knights years, where like um, I don't know if like I'm sure you do know this, but you share a record with two other American-born players in the OHL for most points in a season, uh, a guy by the name of Patrick Kane. And, hey, buddy. Right? Good American boy. Good American, <laughs> American boy. boy. And who's the other guy? Uh, Steve uh, Drula? Or Dru Drulia. Drulia? He was, he was an older He's player. He's an older player. Um, okay. I'll give you the, the, the record over Kaner because... You did it in one less game. You had 145 in like. Yeah, all right, I'll take that. Yeah, nice. like 50. But 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 the other guy. Trula. I did in 10 less games than you. 145 points in the O. I mean, the goalies weren't even going down back then. <laughs> <laughs> what what I was gonna get at though, like first, you know, take us through that amazing year. But also, did you even know about like this record? Because how is it that three of you guys, you know, you American you boys all land on 145 points like nobody That's wanted crazy. to just like take the torch and carry the record like what happened because i guess you know you're you were going after steve julia and then kane is following you but i guess you guys you know did you know about that record or i did not no i didn't know about that but I, what i'll say what stopped me from getting it was i got i, I got shadowed like the last 15 games of the season <laughs> I literally got the power play I had, I have a guy standing literally in my pocket and I didn't, I wasn't able to touch the puck. So I got shunned. I got shunned at the end. I, that was funny. Actually the last, I almost won a scoring title that year for the CHL. And I was paying attention to that because Alex Radulov was over in the queue and he was doing really well at yeah. the same time. And I was up on him by like three points going to the last game of the season. I scored four points in my last game of the season. So I'm like, man, and that's a cushion, right? Like, I, I think I got this in the bag. And I got home from the game. I turned on TSN, and the first thing comes on TSN, you're not going to believe the night Alexander Radulov had in the Q, QMJHL. 11 points. <laughs> 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 no way. This is unbelievable. So I got beat out. 
That's unreal. Alexander Radulov was a oh, hell of a yeah. player. I had to play defense one game for Halifax <laughs> against Quebec, and I was shitting my pants when Radulov was flying down the ice against me. Wow. Got him to go wide. Yeah. Didn't score that shift, but he got an opportunity. <laughs> and I can't skate according to Vince, so yeah. you can imagine how scared I was when Radulov was coming down. <laughs> Do we want to yeah, go there? No but, 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 but before we get to that, um, that magical season where he scored 57 goals in 57 games, 145 points, like that's that's unheard of. Yeah. You know. But we we talked about that 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 I want I want to get back to that trade mm -hmm. during the draft year. You to me have always been a first overall talent. Now, I never got drafted at the next level like you have. I, I don't even think I talked to a team my draft year, whereas you talked to 30. Mafangula, special player over there. <laughs> um, but but um, as, as, as going through that process in a year where Gilbert said to you, you know, red flags, red flags, red flags, you still were a first-round draft pick. What was, yeah. that, what was that experience like? Did you have expectations because, like you said, you don't know what it's like not to be the best or not to aspire to be the best. So first overall, playing in the OP as a 14-year-old, as a 15-year-old, breaking all kinds of records, Wayne Gretzky, commercial, movie, whatever, all of these things, it seemed almost inevitable as a fan, you know, and I've always been a fan of you from when I saw you. I mean, the Belleville Bulls on my team, we drove down to Trenton to watch this kid, Rob Shremp, against our, our Trenton Sting. Uh, and we had to we had to see it with our own eyes, and this kid was just. And uh, did your brother play on your team? Or yeah, yeah, that was the other, that was pretty cool. I got to play with my brother. He was an '83. I'm an '86. He was an '83. So we got, that was kind of our chance to play together, and uh, it was that was a good experience having him. Having and did this there. kid ever put on a show? Like he knew that the OHL. He, you like how could you miss us? We're just standing there, just being like, this kid's not that good. Like trying to mean mug, right? But I'm just like. <laughs> Ooh, like that's my boy look at my boy and they're just like yeah whatever he's just a punk american you know like that, like, that was that's the way it was back when yeah. we were playing it was canada against the americans and we weren't going to give anybody love yeah um, yeah but you were still a first rounder did you expect to be drafted higher than you were oh for sure yeah like definitely i you know my sights were set on top five that year was ov so i mean not not a chance there, you know, uh, he's a clear cut. Number one, he was a, he was a horse. Uh, whatever hey, you want to know like. what Florida drafted them the year before with their last pick, they could have drafted me. <laughs> so, and, and, and then you could have had first overall locked up and loaded because Obi was. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. No. Yeah. But I mean, and then, but I didn't have a good, the draft year was a, it was a gong show. It was a mess. It was everything other than hockey, which was unfortunate. You know, it was a trade, and I got, went to London. And it took time to get in, you know, settled in the London situation, London team. They had Corey Perry and some other studs, Scott Shepard uh, as an overage guy. You know, Danny Bois, David Bowen had been there his rookie year and kind of been uh, sort of tailored to Dale's system. So when I got there, it was a lot of learning curve and, and learning how to play for Dale. And even in the playoffs, it took, I had to take a back seat and, you know, kind of sit the bench for a while to, to – to learn how to play playoff hockey for Dale. And that was draft year. So there was a cut, you know, the, the first year was Rocky uh, in London and that, but it was a learning curve and it, it paid off the next season because the next season was that, you know, Memorial cup season. And I felt like I contributed it in a different way. The first year I, I came in again, a gun sling an American offensively pretty, I, I, you know, I could agree that it lackluster defensively. I never knew the game defensively because I always had the puck, you know, going into there. That's, 
that was my that was my counterattack to defense, right? It was just get the puck and play offense. But that's Dale played a long time in the NHL, knows what it takes playing in the NHL. My type of style hockey was would be a great junior career way to play, but it wouldn't get you to the pros. So what his his mission was to kind of break me a little bit and, and make me understand. Yeah, you know, I'm very cocky too. Like I was, I, for me, that's how I, I rode that from from a small town in Fulton, New York. Like if I would have gone through that whole time, like 11 to 15 or 16, kind of a shy person and scared of of challenging and, and trying to be the best, that would have never happened. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword, but Dale broke that and made me understand, you know, uh, how to play the game, both sides of the puck and, and, and play a team game. So, um, you know, that 17-year-old year was, was wild. So I, I didn't expect to be first overall, but I definitely thought my, my ability and what my upside was, was definitely top five, top 10 NHL. Um, unfortunately, there was all those red flags. <laughs> so, <laughs> unfortunately, had to compete with those and, and kind of, uh, you know, that that watched me slip down to 25. And, you know, a lot of uh, something to be proud of as a 34 year old guy now. Am I proud of it? Yeah. But at that time, no, I took it as like an insult almost like I, I you know, that was fuel for my fire uh, pissed off. And, you know, I thought I was a better player than that. And also in some of those meetings, those draft meetings, you get those guys to tell you, oh, there's no chance you're going to be here at the 18th pick. And, you know, we love talking to you, but then you're not going to be here. And then the 18th pick comes and you're still there and they don't take you. It's like a lot of emotion. You're like, you know, a lot of stuff going on. And I had a, like 125 people down at the draft in Raleigh, California, uh, North Carolina. So it was a pressure day and it was, you know, it was wild, you know, watching my name kind of, I guess, slip. I know I went in the first round, but again, my expectations I didn't go there like, oh, I hope I go in the first round. It's like, I, I want to be a top five pick. Like, I want to, you know, yeah. I want to, that's who I think I am. That's who I am. That's what I want to be. So, uh, again, later on in life, you learn to appreciate things and not be so stuck up on the on the other things. It wouldn't have mattered in the, in the reality of it. It wouldn't have mattered if I won the second round. If I would have won the second round, I probably would have had a longer career. It would have been less expectations and more, you know what I mean? That's a diamond in the rough when you grab a guy, comes in the second round and he has a 10-year career. Um so hindsight's always twenty twenty, but to give you the honest truth, at the time it was it was a little bit frustrating, yeah. for sure. It's crazy. And and what a crazy year that Memorial Cup, because that was uh, I believe uh, the lockout right in in the NHL. Yeah. So everyone was just like focused on you know this London Knights, Ramuski, and you know all that. But then there was uh, the World Juniors that year where a lot of these guys, that was like their only hockey that year. Yep. I'm sure a lot of guys went and played overseas and whatnot, but that, that World Juniors year, um, they had a good team. I think U.S. won that year. But then the next year, you were on that team with a lot of good American uh, kids, Castle and uh, Johnson, I think, the, the, the Eric Johnson, I think it was. Just a bunch of great guys. And yeah. you're, you guys were favorite to like go to win that gold medal that year. Um, you beat them the year before, but then that year- No, you know, no, sorry, that's that's wrong. So not not to call well, you out, but the yeah, year- Yeah, no, no, for my sure. My 17-year-old year, USA won over in, I don't know, I don't know if it was in Finland. Yeah. Uh, they beat Helsinki. Canada, that was the year. Yeah, Helsinki. Patrick yeah. O'Sullivan scored that one up from Mark Mark andre Fleury's kind of yeah. Under a little <laughs> the bit. Poke check or whatever. Shot it off. He tried to play it off of his yeah, he played it off his back. And then the next year was that absolute power in uh Canada had oh, I mean okay. it was Crosby, Perry, Bergeron, 
the decor was Seabrook, uh, was <laughs> Weber. Weber, Kohler, yeah, Shea Weber. Danny Sivret. Was Bell I mean, on that team stacked. too, Sean Bell? Belzy was on the team, yeah. Yep. I mean, they were loaded with, yep. with players. Um, so, yeah, I so guess that, that was, was actually, the lockout. That was the lockout. That was the lockout. Yeah, that's right, yeah. yes. Grand Fork, uh, North Dakota. And and I think Canada ended up uh, winning. winning against uh, Russia. Correct. It was like a big-time game. Dion Pinuff, two for Crosby. two, exactly. But, double uh, Dion, that's where the double, double Dion. Double Dion. Double Dion. <laughs> yeah. double Dion there. But still, like, <laughs> you know, that was kind of like stardom before the NHL. Like, I know the draft kind of didn't go your way, but, you know, that tournament was pretty special in its own right. You know, all the players playing in that tournament, you know, tell us a little bit about your experience, uh, you know, playing against those guys and playing with, you know, great players like Phil Kessel and stuff. Yeah. So the, the first year I played, it was, uh, you know, our studs were Sullivan, Patrick O'Sullivan, Ryan Suter, Drew Stafford, Al Montoya was in goal. That's that, that Montoya, year of the lockout. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. There was, it was, but I mean, we, we had no firepower compared to Canada. So we took fourth that year. We, there wasn't much expectations either, I don't think. You know, obviously seeing Canada's team, uh, we were all going there to win. But like, when you look at the paper, like, and Russia was stacked as well. Yeah. Uh, the following year, yeah, we had a lot of expectations. There was uh, Jack Johnson, Eric Johnson, uh, Phil Kessel, we had Chris Bork, Kevin Poor. We had a pretty stacked team. And, you know, we just didn't meet expectations. That tournament's tricky. You know, you have basically two weeks to learn how to click with each other. And, you know, Bobby Ryan was on that team. So we had some great talent. It just didn't come together at the right time. And that's the way she goes in a two-week tournament. Uh, we ended up taking fourth that's, that year as well. It was up in Vancouver. Uh, Canada got on a roll. They ended up winning again. But uh, it, it was a great time to get the, I, I, that tournament's amazing because you get a chance at that age to really gauge where your game's at. You know, personally, I, you want to go there and win for the crest, win for your country. Uh, but on an individual side of that, you get to, that's your, you know, the OHL is a great league and, you know, NCAA is a great place to go as, as well. But in that tournament, the best of the best from each country come. And that's one of the only times at that age where you get to gauge your game against those players. The Ovechkins come over the Malkins, uh, you know, the top studs are there. So uh, it's a great opportunity for on an individual basis, but then obviously, you know, with your pride in your country and your sweater, uh, a chance to win a gold medal for your country. It's, it's, it's a huge honor to go there. And it's, it just, that's the way it went for us. Honestly, we just didn't click. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Phil had a great tournament, put himself on the map as far as being a first overall pick or up there and, and really, you know, kind of showcasing himself. But as a team, we didn't, uh, we didn't hit the stride in, at the right time. Well, what's Phil like, because you were talking about getting to camp earlier uh, in the, the OHL for the, the ice dogs and you know you weren't running hills and you weren't running miles and back when we played though back no, when we played like, we used to go to training camp to get into shape we didn't go to training camp in shape yeah but yeah. like phil yeah. has made a career of without you know being in shape like does he have like this like freakishly like muscle mass underneath that you know everything or is it just like yeah raw talent That's like, that's actually what, you know, like his trainers say, like he actually has like unbelievably leg, like leg power, leg strength, his, his core leg strength is, is unreal. I mean, his, his exterior, he's got, he carries extra weight, no doubt, but he's got this fast twitch that's unbelievable. You know, the way that he could change gears uh, at that age, he wasn't like, you know, he wasn't a heavy kid 
per se. He, didn't, he wasn't a fat kid. Um, I think now, and you look at him and you look at his body type, yeah, he carries extra weight, but he, his, his explosion and his pop and his, uh, what, what his unique talent is, is the way that he can cross over and accelerate. His crossover acceleration, it just goes, and even now you watch him, like you'd say, he's, yeah, if you had a, everybody take your shirt off, we're going to have a competition, a body contest, he's not winning. <laughs> but when it comes to the skating part of it, he's still got legs. You know, he's still got that explosion and he, he can blow by defenders. And at that age, he was, it was really, he was really poppy with a stride. So he had some inside out dangles in those tournaments that were sick, like some sick goals, sick one-on-one -on -one efforts um, that were, were electric. So, and he can shoot the puck. So he's got an explosive stride and he can shoot. And those are his two dynamic uh, tools that he's maximized and made a hell of a career out of it. Speaking of shot, I still vividly remember every time Mississauga or London were on the power play. I would just put my head down because I'm not blocking shots. So I wasn't out there on the penalty kill all that often. Not at least earlier on in my career. Later on in my career, I got out there on the PK, but definitely. So I just, oh, one for one on the power play. Oh, oh for one on the penalty kill because he would just come up. You had this move, Shrimp. I don't know if you remembered. You'd play catch up top with the defenseman or whatever. You'd come down the half wall, come back up, look like you're going to pass it back to the defenseman, and then just come down the lane. You have an a Instagram video of you demonstrating this drill through a tire. And yeah. you always, like it's what you see on those Instagram videos. And if you guys aren't following Rob Schrempf, follow Rob Schrempf on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Cause some of the videos that he has out there, like talk about dad bod with Phil Kessel. There's one where he's just like flicking up a puck and then he, dad body butt ends it in top shelf or whatever. It was. <laughs> yeah, like, right. <laughs> what a beauty, what a beauty. But his shot on that power play yeah. through like 17 sticks, you know, six pairs of skates and would still go bar down. Like, it's not like finding a way in the net. It was like, there's everything in front of him, but a wall, <laughs> literally everything in front of him. And somehow it would go through a skate over a lace through a stick off something and just <laughs> every single time. What was yeah. it like when you used to do that shot? Because you did it, like you said, over, what, 300 goals in your junior career, 400 goals in your junior career. But what was it like playing for London as one of the guys? Not one of the, like, role players, but one of the guys. Like, people used to probably, I would imagine, because I used to stay up and see how many points Robbie got and, like, <laughs> yeah. look at the highlight videos. We didn't have the, the video that we do now, and we'll get to that later because you're doing some really cool things there with the video analysis. But what was that like with 9,000? Is it 9,000 at the John Labatt or Budweiser? What's the arena called now? Uh, yeah, now it's called the uh, Budweiser Gardens. It was called the John Labatt Center when we were there, JLC. Yeah. It was yeah. pretty cool. It had a clicky, clicky name to it, and it was exciting to go. Everybody's going to JLC to watch the boys. Budweiser <laughs> Garden just doesn't ring as well. But it's <laughs> still electric. And, and, and you used to put on literally shows for a bunch of screaming uh, university students, right? They were just coming there and cheat drinks in the, and you you and Corey Perry just backdoor saucing it and, and, and Dylan Hunter out there looking pretty on the line and picking up his points. Shout outs to Dylan Hunter. And I love that guy. He was always good to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was like, I had the experience in Halifax that I thought was second to none. But I, yeah. but I think that, you know, that year that we had when we ran, when we ran into Ram, Ramuski and you guys did us a service and, and took out Ramuski, 
Uh, but we played them in the finals, and we had 9,000 fa- fans at the Metro Center. Back then it was the Metro Center. I don't know what it's called now. Scotia it doesn't sound the same. Or Scotia. It's yeah. Scotia now. Like, everything's Scotia. You should have <laughs> kept it the Metro Center just like they should have kept the Budweiser Gardens. I mean, that sounds weird. should still be yeah. the John Labatt, right? Um, but, like, that environment, like, I used to thrive off putting on a show for the fans that used to come and watch me play. But I ain't no Rob Shrimp. Right? I'm not Rob Shrimp. So, like, what was that experience like for you? Was it the same? Like, I felt like I had, I was the king. Like, I'm just going to say, I felt like I was the man. Everywhere you go, hey, Rain, hey, this, hey, that. And it got to my head a little bit. But what was it like for you, you know, as a guy who's a first-rounder now, you've already proved yourself, like, time and time again. And now you're you're not behind. When you when you first got traded to, to London, you had to figure it out, learn to play. You talked about Dil, uh, Mr. Hunter Dale. Uh, having to break you and teach you how to be a better pro. Um, but then you were the man. What was that like in London during that magical run? Yeah, it was electric. That uh, JLC was was awesome. Um, there was such a great energy there. And for me growing up, like my my idol, sports idol, was Michael Jordan. And what I, what I appreciated Michael Jordan was the way that he dominated, but he also entertained at the same time. And he, he walked such a fine line of it, being a competitor, um, and executing and bringing fans to their feet. And, you know, for me being an athlete and being, you know, playing in front of that fans, uh, playing in front of those fans at the JLC, that was my moment to be Michael Jordan. I, I loved every minute of it. And I wanted to bring those, you know, in hockey, that's the way it is in North America. It's like the fans sit down, they sit down, and then somebody does something on the ice, and you bring them up to their feet, and that's you that's doing it. I thrived off that. And, you know, being in that, in that atmosphere, I think it brought out the best of me, but brought out the best of my game. And, and, you know, and also having studs on your team and wanting to compete against them, a healthy compete, not like, I hope he breaks his leg and I get his spot kind of competition more like Corey's got three goals tonight. So I'm going to try to make four, um, you know, and that was what was really healthy in London. We had that competition, but it was, it was healthy. It was, you know, and again, watching pairs go out and compete and then getting my chance and then bulls would go out. And then, you know, Dilly again, Dilly had like 300 point seasons he was putting up. Um, so it was, it was electric and, and we all, we all thrived on that. You know, the fans were nuts there. I don't want to say nuts, but they were, they were so passionate and the way that we played together and the way we clicked as a team, like there was, there was one time we had a delayed penalty against Belleville and we had something like it was a minute and a half we held onto the puck and I ended up scoring at the end of it. And about a minute into it, the fans were like off their, you know, on their feet, standing up and cheering. Cause we go, you know, cross ice seam, back door, <laughs> almost scored, get the puck again, make five, six more passes, another scoring chance. We held it for a minute and 30. We finally buried and the place erupted. And I think you can still find that on maybe YouTube or something, but um, those kind of moments, like they just bring something out of you as a, as an athlete, as a player. You know, your home fans like supporting you like that feels so supportive and you want to it's almost addictive right like you want to do that again for them so uh i loved every minute of it i had my little side of the ice on the half wall and i i tried to dominate that piece of the ice and you know every time i went out there i was looking to go bar down i wasn't looking to go five hole <laughs> I, was to go, I was looking to go bar down you know because i knew that would electrify the building so um you know, I loved it. It was it was amazing playing in front of those fans. And, and every time you drive in the rink on a Friday night, coming in, you know, whatever, five o'clock, four thirty, coming to the rink, you can feel it brewing inside of you. Like, just can't wait to get out there and bring these people to their feet. And uh, you know, the fact that we got to win that Memorial Cup in in London, 
Um, you know, there's a lot of that too. Like not only that, but like the fact that we went to the front door, you know, we went to the leak, we mopped everybody up and then we went to the front door and then we, we had a bit of a tough time the first game against Ramuski, but the final game, they didn't have, I mean, they didn't even have a chance and the city went crazy. Cool. And, you know, huge congrats. I think you were uh, inducted to the London Knights Hall of Fame there in 2020. And, yeah, you know, yeah. huge, huge congrats to that. Like what a, what, a, <laughs> what an honor, right? Um, but I guess, you know, we're taking you kind of down memory lane there with the Memorial Cup. But what was it like going back and, you know, being on the ice and being inducted? Like, did that just like bring back a lot of memories and emotions? Like, what was that like for you? Oh, it's amazing. You know, anytime I go back into that building, it feels like home. You know, it's so I'm so comfortable in that rink all the way through knowing like the people that work there. There were still people that worked there when we were playing there, you know, the ushers and the, the vendors and, and the Zamboni guys that did the ice. So going back there is like going home, really, for me. Uh, I love that building. And then the honor of being inducted in the Hall of Fame. It was part of the first class inducted with the Taylor brothers. Um and it was Don, they named it after Don Brinkley, who's really instrumental to our team. He's an unbelievable guy. Looked after us like, like we were his kids. Uh, it was a, a lot of big honor. And, and again, going back there and, and seeing people and like Ray was saying, Rainer was saying like the people that come up to you and say hi and, and remember you and it makes you feel really good. It makes you feel like you're at home. You know, and it's, it's not just like one or two people. You're, you know, Two, three hundred people coming up to you to say hi. We miss you. We love watching you play. It, it feels really good, and it makes you feel again like repetitive, but at home and really comfortable. Well, I, I think that it's safe to say that that team, you know, what you guys did. I mean, you guys had the record for undefeated streak in the in the CHL, I think, mm -hmm. um, and I think it still hasn't been broken. So that's you were a part of that, a big part of that. And we had one of your teammates, Adam Dennis, on uh, as one of our guests a few weeks ago. Um, and, and he said, what a special, what a special time that was. Mm -hmm. Um, but moving forward, you know, having the career and the success that you've had in junior, one of the things that Adam made reference to was you guys are at the pinnacle, you know, treated like gold, winning lots of games, Harlem Globetrotters. You guys can beat everybody up in the fisticuffs. You guys can outclass them with the skill. Like, any way you guys wanted to play, like I used to hate playing against <laughs> these guys, and I, I bet. And I didn't, I didn't play against them the year that they went the Memorial Cup because that's the year that I was in. in that's Halifax, the that's the first yeah. year I went. But the first year when he got traded there, his draft year, I was still in Belleville, mm -hmm. and I just used to be like, oh my god, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna get asked to fight by seven guys, and I don't fight anybody. But all seven <laughs> of them are like foaming at their mouth. But they're also going to get three points that game as well. <laughs> like it, it was, it was Corey Perry was asking you to go. Hunter was asking you to go. All the guys were just like, it's time to go. Yeah. And if you're not going to go, they know that you're a little bit of a whatever, and they're just going to go out there and dominate <laughs> on the score sheet and do Harlem Globetrotter shit <laughs> that they did. It was crazy. Tick tick tack. The minute and thirty probably happened what seven times a game, <laughs> like seven yeah. times a game. Everybody's just like, 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 like back then. But then we get into your pro career, first rounder. You disappointed that you weren't a, a top top pick, uh, but still got drafted in the first round. Um, and, I, and I think that you would admit that you didn't have the NHL career that you would have liked to have had. But one of the questions that I asked Adam is, you know, having had the success that you had with London, being at the pinnacle with all the pandemonium and pandemonium that comes with that, did it kind of skew what your expectation was a little bit going into 
um, going into Edmonton's camp as a rookie. Kind of similar to what happened when you went to Mississauga, like not knowing what to expect based on all the success you had with Syracuse. Was there a little bit of that as well going into your first camp? Yeah, it's definitely like kind of the first camp, you're nervous as hell. You don't, I mean, that it's the way people talk about going to the NHL and, and how tough it is and how good everybody is. It's, it's very intimidating. So going to that first camp, you don't know what to expect. And it's, a, you know, you're just kind of humbling and you're just kind of trying to feel your way out. So you're out of your comfort zone for sure. I mean, again, being in London, kind of getting your, you know, your roots kind of planted there. And now you're going to a new place and trying to figure out you know, basically when you go to training camp, there's 60 people there. So you're trying to navigate through, you know, kind of who's asked you kiss. <laughs> like, don't talk when this vet's around or don't do something stupid when this guy's, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's tricky, you know, and at the same time, you're trying to put your best foot forward hockey-wise. So you're trying to understand the social side of it. And you're also trying to understand, you know, a lot of things, the dynamic of the locker room. And then, on, and, you know, when you get on the ice, you feel like you're under a microscope every missed pass, you're, you're going to be, you know, a box will be checked off. So there's a lot that goes into that first training camp. And, and unfortunately my, my 18 year old year after I got drafted was they were lined up for the lockout and that was what the talk was all summer. And we went to the rookie camp uh, in the beginning of September. And then I think September 15th, they pulled the plug and said there was going to be a lockout. So it was, that was tough that year. And it wasn't even a chance to go to the show. Uh, they locked out. So it was back to junior, back to the London, which was great. Obviously you're com comfortable there. And, you know, my 17 year old year, the first year I got there, we lost to Guelph in the Western finals. And it was yeah, pretty much. Adam, 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 Adam told us all about that. Yeah. Yeah. Denny, yeah. <laughs> Denny and those boys. He was the goal. He was they the goalie lucky, for Guelph. Man. They, got so <laughs> lucky. <laughs> they got so lucky, but you know, they, they did it. I mean, you can't go back to, we had a better team. We lost Danny bought a suspension. Um, oh, you know, that's right. That's factors. right. Yep. And uh, like Kevin, I think Kevin Klein had a, had a hatch, uh, three hat tricks in a seven game series as a D man. And then he had Marty St. Pierre turned it on for that series. Yep. I mean, that year we really had a logistic chance to win as well. We had a pretty stacked team. Uh, just that's, that was our lesson uh, about, you know, you hear the stories about the, you know, the Islanders and the, or the Edmonton Oilers in the early eighties, when they lost to the Islanders, yep. they learned that once they, you know, they lost to the Islanders and they walked by the locker room, everybody had ice packs on. They weren't really like boozing it up or celebrating. It was more like, Phew. that was our lesson as a team, because that's why we came out the next year and went 31 undefeated. We were pissed. Like we knew that, but that's the thing. What it could have, should have, yep. doesn't get you shit. Um, <laughs> And we realized that. So we came out the next year foaming at the mouth. Like, we're going to prove, like, now we got a team. We're, we're not letting this one slip. And we uh, we went guns blazing. And Denny actually shut us out to, to, I think it was the 29th or 30th game of the year. We were 29-0. and 0, And then the, that game, the 30th game, Denny shut us out in, like, an insane game. Like, he had, like, a 55, maybe 60 <laughs> save game. And it was a 0-0 tie. So we went 20 29-0 and two, we had two ties in that, in that stretch. And, uh, but that's where the fuel came from was that year before we learned actually what it took and never let your foot off the gas pedal. And uh, we might've underestimated again, we lost Danny ball, which was a tough piece for us. He was a goal scorer. Like I think he had 25 goals that year. And he also had like, I don't know, 275 penalty. penalty. <laughs> this guy, he used yeah. to scare me. I used to, he used to he, look at me and I'd just be like, 
hey, what's going on? Yeah, he was nuts. He was he was a little bit loopy. He's one of those guys. Like I, that that's why I never like the boys would tell me like, hey, if Boise's talking to you, don't even bark. Like just no. just 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 don't. Let sleeping dogs like, lay. He had like four or five fights that year that were like immediately after a goal. Like he got a backdoor tap in. He turned around and just grabbed the first guy there and just pumped him. It's like, what's wrong with him? Like after I scored, go off looking at Sally and like get the like Guazo like lost it and be like I would have beat somebody up too. You get a you know, like, No, he was an amazing teammate. And it was just it was and like even in practice, you're like, don't don't go near him. Don't if he's in a bad stay away from him. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, well, taking it to, you know, your pro year, obviously that first year is tough with the lockout and stuff. But, um, you know, afterwards when, you know, you're playing in the AHL, like what more did you need to show to like make it to that Edmonton team and play on that team? You, you put up some, you know, I was looking at your numbers last night and I was just like, wow, this guy put up a point a game in the AHL. Like what more, like, you know, I'm not, I don't know the situation, but to play that many games, you know, for, for not too many games with Edmonton as a, you know, 25th overall pick, like what more did you need to prove in the AHL that, uh, you know, Edmonton kind of was overlooking? Yeah, no, I, I wasn't going to play there. And that was, that was pretty, pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it wasn't a fit for what they wanted. And, and from what I understand, like it was more, you know, a lot of the head scouts that were pulling for me really believed in me in that 25 pick. I was the best player left there, and that's that's why they took me. But I don't think the staff was really convinced, the coaching staff. So it was it was, it was pretty obvious that, that, that I wasn't going to be a fit for that lineup for the coaching staff. And, um, you know, the Western Conference is more of a tough division. And, you know, bang and crash and, and really physical. It's not so much skill. We had a skill guy in Alex Hemsky, a, a grinder, and goal scorer and, and Ryan Smith, they kind of had their skills, so to speak. And then yeah. the rest of the three lines were, were set up for the Western Conference where it was crash and bang. And that was never going to be my game. And, and, you know, I can say one of those things, well, I should have adapted, but let's be honest, at 185 pounds and 5'10", 5'11", there's no chance that I was going to flip it around to be a crash and banger. And it just wasn't going to fit, you know. So it's unfortunate that's the way it folded out. I got drafted in, this, in a spot where – it was very clear I wasn't going to make that roster out of, out of a training camp. You know, I played seven games over three years. And the other people in my draft class played, you know, two, 250 games going into three years. So uh, it was really evident that it wasn't going to be a fit. And, you know, at the end, Pat Quinn came in with Tom Rooney, and I thought that would be a nice change. But, you know, they had other draft picks that were coming up, and Sammy Gagne and, and Cogliano. And, uh, you know, so it was they just kind of – three years or four years of being drafted by them, it was, it was clear that I was a better fit for somewhere else. And I got picked up off waivers uh, to go to the New York Islanders. And that was, it was, a, you know, such a breath of fresh air and, and a chance for me to kind of just clean the slate and get over. Because my last year in the minors, I dove. That's what happened, really. I lost my confidence. I'm like, what the hell else do I need to do? And it was confusing. There wasn't much communication of, like, what was needed yeah. or what they wanted and how to get there. It was all guessing for me, and that was very tough mentally and confidence-wise. And again, like you see, I went from 76 points in 77 games down to like 42 and 76. It's it's very obvious <laughs> what happened yeah. to my game. You know, I just was very lost and confused. And uh, and then in hockey and any sport, really, once you lose your confidence, you yeah, it's it's uh, mm-hmm. good luck. And then you know, like we're the same age, so 
I was still watching your career growing up. Like I played hockey, you know, the MTHL for us back then. And, you know, I wasn't ever, you know, Rain Carnegie or Robbie Shrimp, but, you know, hockey's in my DNA. I was I, never a Robbie Shrimp or close to it either, <laughs> so don't feel bad. No, it's all good. But what I'm getting at is, like, do you maybe think that, uh, you know, you're kind of a, uh, a victim to the old NHL, like that clutch and grab, like, like you said, 175 pounds, uh, you know, like if you're, let's be honest, if you're playing today, you know, your, your game fits right up uh, the new NHL's alley, like lots of power plays, you know, not being able to, you know, uh, water ski on the guy or hold him against the boards. Like, do you think you kind of, you know, do you think you, you would have you would have had a better outcome in a different era? I mean, I think I proved what I could do in the new era. The next year, I scored 100, almost 150 points. I had 145 points in the new era. So I showed what I could do with the new rules, and it didn't get accepted. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's they were still stuck with the, you know the Battle of Alberta, and we're going to crash and bang everything. And and you know again. They produced new rules to show what the game could be like, and I, we, you know, David Bowl, myself, and Dylan, we we showed, you know, I've talked about myself personally. I put up a lot of points in either the playoffs, even, and uh, I thought, you know, that was the kind of display, yeah. skill wise, what the new. And I love the old rules. To be honest with you, I thought the old rules were great to figure out and have to kind of yeah to really want to score. The ice. You have to really want to score to score. Ice. And yeah, and you have to like find pockets of time and space because of the hooking and grab. I loved it. I and mean, I loved coming out of games after with guys slashing my, again, I grew up in the OPHL and it's no joke. Like there was, I got to a point where I was doing well there and guys hated it. Cause I was a mouthy little kid too. I, I had to be, I couldn't be out there timid. So if they're going to challenge me, I'm running my mouth. And eventually it got to the point where I come down on one-on-ones and guys wouldn't even try to poke stick. They would just tomahawk slash me and break sticks over me and shit. So we had to get a, we had to get some tough guys. Brian Bassner was 6'5", 250. He had to play on my line because it got to a, that point. Wow. Um, so point being, I, I, I like the old game because, you know, if you came out with bumps and bruises, it means that you were involved in the game. and You were, you know, challenging and, and doing things in the game where guys had to hook or slash you. Um, but with the new rules, it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was easy peasy. I mean, you're not... Guys would do stupid stuff like that, and as soon as, boom, arm would go up. And when you're in London, as soon as the arm goes up, you're, you're playing on a 40% power play. You're almost guaranteed to score. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's amazing. So we, we, talk about, we talked about your junior career and how prolific you were. Uh, we touched upon your experiences in pro, and, and later on in your career, uh, you went overseas to, to, you know, a lot of players – they, when they're done in the done in the North America, they like to extend and see the world and do different things. I'm sure you were no different. But then abruptly, after one of your strongest years uh, that you had overseas to that point uh, in 2018, uh, you retired and and yeah. took and took some time off. And you and you touched upon you know uh, the one year that you had in the American Hockey League where you're a point of game player, and then and then the following year you had that decline and it weighs on your head. And you've been pretty open. Uh, over the last few years and, and a pretty strong advocate uh, for mental health. And I think one of, the, one of the, uh, the publications that I read mentioned that in that year 2018 was a year in when you needed to take some time for Robbie to, to, to get, your, get your mind where it needed to be. Can you, can you do you mind sharing about what, what that? 
Yeah, no, yeah. So I started getting anxiety attacks during the middle of games. I started getting anxiety attacks almost every other day. And, uh, you know, I, it was, it was, it was crazy. I had no idea what was going on. Never had it before. It wasn't, it wasn't something about, I mean, it wasn't one of those things overthinking or that kind of, it just was literally something functioning. My body would send me into anxiety attacks. And sometimes it would be before the game with the strobe lights going off, which would, would trigger something, but I was fighting through that. And, um, at the same time was playing really good hockey. I mean, there was times in the game when I was literally like, I mean, these are really raw thoughts, but like, it was like, like I thought I was gonna pass out. I was like, don't pass out, don't pass out, don't pass out. And they would pass, and I'd be like, Phew. and I'd go take the draw, <laughs> play the shift. So it was, it was pretty wild. I mean, it's, I can laugh about it now because I understood it, but I, I thought I was having strokes. That's what I thought because I never knew what anxiety attacks were. Um, so that year, you know, I finally I went and got some help and got start taking some medication to kind of fix that. And you know, it's really balanced me out and helped me in a lot in a big way. So. You know, I dealt with depression my whole life since a young kid, and, and I think that going looking at it, you know, the situation that you know led into it a little bit with the anxiety stuff. Um, again, got help and battled through it, and I ended up being one of the top point per game uh, players in the league. And when I got to the team that I was on, they were almost last place by it was in October. By January 10th, we were in first place, um, guns blazing and ready to go, and getting ready for playoffs and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, at the end of the year, trying to go back, I got a message that, you know, it couldn't, it wasn't, it, they couldn't trust me with my issue, so to speak. Um, so I went from there and then I went to get a job at another spot and they heard about that and they used that and said that to me and I walked away from the game. I couldn't believe it. And I was, it bugged me a lot and it pissed me off. And I, I you know, I just said, this time, you know, if that's the way I'm going to be treated, also played that year. I got two concussions in a month. I played it out because of the playoffs. Thought that was a pretty big sacrifice of my body and 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 of me to to do for the team and, and to get that, you know, kind of back was pretty frustrating. And I thought that's that's crazy. If they're gonna if I'm gonna sell my you know put my body on the line like that and that's the return, yeah. maybe it's time to walk away. Um, and I walked away. So I didn't. It wasn't a time where. Um, you know, I still had a lot of game left. You know, I, honestly, I thought I had four, like three, four more years at least. And but again, that, that bugged me a lot. And I thought it was time to just focus on myself and walk away from the game and, and worry about my family. Uh, two concussions in a month. Also, I got a daughter. She just was born. So it's, it's something where I thought it was probably the best idea. And um, yeah, that's that's the story. And it's, it's the way she goes and sports can be vicious sometimes. So yeah. it showed its teeth and I walked away. Wow. And uh, I don't know. I saw the other day, you, you played this year, though. Did you make a comeback in the, the Latvian year? League? Coming back like Jordan, yeah, we're, yeah, in like a, we're in the 4-5. Yeah. We're in the 4-5? Hey, he's like back! You thought I was gone! So, yeah. Did you just have that, like, you know what? I'm, I'm feeling better, you know. Um, I'm just going to take another crack at this and see how goes it. And, you know, I, I did see that. I was actually surprised. I was like, wow. And shout out to your beautiful girls that you have oh, yeah, with sorry. you that are probably sleeping right now. Your yeah. wife and your beautiful daughter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. yeah, they're snoring. They're yeah. snoozing. No, yeah, this year, uh, I was going to do a, a lot of consulting things and go around from, uh, you know, for teams, work with their power plays, work with offensive stuff. I had a bunch of stuff lined up and then the borders closed. So um, I was skating with some guys just to, to go out and get some exercise and, ain't that much. And, um, one of the 
guys is like, Hey, why don't, why don't you play? And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm not here to like get ready for anything, man. I'm literally here to like lose a couple pounds, you know? And <laughs> turned out like in Lafayette, the only thing they were allowing was pro sports to continue and, 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 you know, everything else was shut down. So I figured why not, you know, and it was just a good thing to get out of the house, have something to do. I think, you know, when, when you have some, you know, mental health stuff that you deal with, it's good to have a routine and have activity and get the endorphins going. It's, it's awful to sit around and do nothing. And you, you know, that eats away at you and it's more beneficial to get out there. So I went back and it, it wasn't, uh, you know, the league is a good league for young kids, but in a guy like my position, there's plenty of us, like these older guys that already had their career. It's nice to stay competitive, you know, not play men's league per se. Men's league, I, I tried after I retired a couple of times and I, I just couldn't turn off to compete. Guys were going there to just have fun. And I'm like, you know what I mean? Like almost like too competitive and like getting snarly and like, it was, it was counterproductive to play men's league. I'd come home sometimes. And my wife's like, you never had this much like anger or you were this pissed off. Pro now you're paying and you're coming home. Like it's the Stanley cup. <laughs> like, yeah. Fair enough. So down, you know, and, and this year was a good chance to get, you know, play some competitive and get it back on the ice and, and enjoy it. But uh, it was just that, you know, kind of my plans for doing other things kind of shut down and, this opportunity presented itself and that I didn't realize it, you know, went out on the lead prospects. I started getting all these texts and messages, congrats on the contract. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, no, I'm not coming back. I'm just not coming back. This is just for fun. It's like senior, basically like senior a, a little bit. You know? Yeah. That's kind of the level. But the competitiveness is clearly still there, right? You he know? said he, 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 he <laughs> only knows yeah, how to be the best. What I'm <laughs> Men's league or pro in in Latvia doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't matter. shut off. But but one thing that sorry to cut no, you no, off, go, go. one thing that um, really has inspired me because I'm also uh, somebody who's gone through a lot of mental health um, um, depression and anxiety and things of that nature and, and my story is documented and it's out there um, but but you become somewhat of an advocate and when we were playing Rob we were taught you know if, if the injury happened in your ankle the saying was it's a long way from your heart if it happened in your shoulder it's a long way from the heart if you got a, if you got your bell rung it's a long yeah. way from your heart like i used to hear that verb on repeat in belleville you know toughen up you know it's not going to kill you this that the other thing but one thing that we always because you're 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 in this 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 like silo it's almost like the silo and it can it can consume you mm -hmm. You're in that environment, you know, boys being boys, locker room talk, this, that, and the other thing. There's not a lot of room in, in my experience, and maybe, Rob, your experience might be different or it might be similar, uh, to, to, to be in your feelings. You know, if you had a bad day, um, it was difficult to share or show. Uh, I heard a podcast where George The Rock was talking about how he used to smile later on in his career at his opponent to psych them out, but he was really scared. Yeah. <laughs> but he would also, you'd see him later on in his career, smile right before, just to psych out the opponent. Psychological Right, but warfare. he couldn't show that he was scared. And I mm -hmm. think that as athletes, especially hockey players, there's that cliche, right? You, you have to be tough, you're, you're a jock, you're this, you're that. So as this advocate now, I, and, and I love the work that you're doing in this space, do you think that Hockey's evolved in that matter to be more inclusive of those issues uh, and to provide supporting outlets 
uh, to their constituents to help them with whatever they're going through? Or do you still think that there's a long way for us to go? Obviously, there's always room for improvement. But do you think that there, the gap has been closed since when we played and where the game is today in your experiences? Oh, I think it's still a little bit there. Obviously, I mean, it's 2018 and that happened. It was, it was pretty bizarre, pretty wild. But I think it's coming a long way. It's a new generation. And I think that old school mentality of, you know, it's a long way from the heart is really starting to, to be debunked. You know, it's talking about a lot of the guys enforcers they are talking about issues they're having these days as they're older and, and things that are catching up to them. So they're learning from, from the mistakes, so to speak. And it's no longer, you know, get your bell rung or whatever. It's just, it's just a bell rung, you know, it's a concussion that can have a lasting effect. So, and that's, that goes into all this stuff that, you know, depression, anxiety, you know, CTE. So, um, I think the game's changing. It's, it is evolving. It's a learning curve, and I, you know, there's a lot of room to grow for sure. But you know, it's, it's there's a lot of stuff out there. I think like a, you know, Robin Robin Leonard is a huge, huge positive for the space, yeah. and seeing what he's gone through and come back from, and, and the way he speaks about it honestly, and and that's why I, I jumped on board with it too. I, I have, I don't mind talking to my story, and I don't mind laughing at myself. I, it's okay. I don't care. Like I'm my wor own worst critic and beat myself up enough. So anything that your opinion or anybody else's opinion or my, of my problem, it doesn't bother me. So no. I'm okay to talk about it. And, and it's, it's, you know, I don't choose to wake up with bad days. It just happens. And I didn't know how to deal with it for a long time. And, you know, to be blatantly honest with you, sometimes it would be, you know, after, you know, fighting it for you know, three quarters of a day and finally be like, I'm going to grab a beer. You know, that was the dumbest thing to possibly do. Cause you know, beer and alcohol is, is you know, yeah. it's a depressant. So, learning those things about yourself and learning the right ways to go about it and, and how to cope and, and finally get into a place where it's like, I'm, hey, I'm having a bad day. It, it is what it is. I'm sorry if I'm not myself or I'm cranky or, or if I'm not the laughing, joking guy or whatever that might be. Like there's, you know, I have other stuff that's going inside of me. And, and I found by opening up and talking about it, it was a lot better than hiding and trying to pretend to be somebody you're not or going, you know, going through some, trying to pretend like you're not having a shit day you start being a false person and that leads you down a bad road. So just being honest with yourself and being okay with, you know, today's a shit day. Tomorrow's going to get better. It's, it's okay. And, and that takes a bit and takes you know, some time to learn yourself, but I wanted to kind of, that's how I approach it. And I figured by opening up and helping it would help other people. And it's been a great, you know, it was a big relief for me to talk about it and, and say it. And then the messages and the, and the support coming back from that was so uh, uplifting and it felt good. I met a, a group, uh, uh, the same here movement, the one that Robin's a part of and told my story and the, the, the support cast that came from that was, it was great. You're not alone and you're not a kook. You know what I mean? It's not like you're, yeah, you have bad days, but that doesn't make you no good as a person. It's just, everybody has bad days and deals with things. You didn't choose this and people with depression don't choose it. So, uh, being, you know, you talk again, like you talk about your ankle injury or you talk about your knee injury when you're having an emotional day or something's going on in your brain, it should be no different. That's, that's what people are trying to break down the stigma part of it. And when people need to take care of that, it's, it should be okay. And, and I think a lot of people are starting to understand that even, you know, the old school mentality that, that goes into our barbaric sport uh, are starting to figure that out because some of them are experiencing it. So it's not so much of like, why can't he just relax or why can't he just go grab a beer? No, you don't just relax. You don't just grab a beer. You don't have a choice and you shouldn't go grab a beer. <laughs> and, and I think it's because, of you, guys like you, guys like Robin Leonard that have these platforms that are so open about mm -hmm. who they are. That's given 
everybody else the courage. Like for me to share my story about my battles with addiction and all that stuff, it stemmed from getting the strength from hearing what Akeem Ali you had to go through and him being courageous enough to share his story. And I think that that's what's so important in helping our world grow and come together and unite and be the best versions of ourselves is if we share our stories and be vulnerable. And you and I doing my research before I reached out to you to ask you and, and, and being the, the super fan that I am, going through, you, you, you had, uh, I forget who you were talking with, but one of the things that was on your Instagram was a video where you talk about owning your vulnerabilities and, 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 and all of these things. And the reason why I started my company, my mentorship company, Rob, uh, is, 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 is just that, exactly what you said, like own your secrets and own your life and, and, and don't hide behind them, right? Because it takes a village for everybody to prosper, in my opinion, in my experiences. So I want, I want people to be cool for being authentic and real instead of being fake and being, yeah, everything's fine. You know, yeah. so, so, so I, my hat's off to you. I would take it off, but I have, I'll, I'll take it off anyway <laughs> for coming out and sharing your story. Yeah, I appreciate um, it. You know, it's, uh, it's important. It's so important, and I'm so proud of you and all that you do for, for you know, whoever wants to listen to what you're saying. Yeah, like me. Sure. Other super fans like me. <laughs> Other super fans like me. Yeah. So I want to get into, before we move on to penalty part yeah, of the game, I, I want to talk about 44 Vision. I want to know what it is, who it is, why it, why it wasn't around when I was playing, because it, it, it stems from your brain, so why you didn't hook a brother up back when we were kids and be like, yo, Ray, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. What is it? I send all my people to check out 44 Vision. I need to know how I can be a bigger part of it, how I can get my guys on it and gals on it and whoever on it. Tell us what 44 Vision is. Where does it stem from and how did it start? Where is it today? Yeah, so I started doing some... Uh video work. I got an account on Instat and they, you know, started working on the Instat. It was really, it was amazing to me because through the course of my career, I love talking hockey and even on the ice with my line mates, like I try to be portraying a picture for them or helping them see the play or grabbing the whiteboard and trying to write on the whiteboard for them. When I got this Instat account, the video stuff, it has these tools on there where you can diagram and you can show you know, where the open space is or where the mistake is. And I started just playing around, going through NHL games, going through other leagues and, and playing with just random clips. And then from there, I got a couple of players from Czech Republic that I started working with and, and inserting my sort of knowledge into the game or what I saw in their shifts. And it, it, they, the feedback was amazing. Uh, so then from there, I, I was literally out playing in a tournament with, with a buddy of mine that I played junior with in Syracuse. I ran into this guy, uh, my business partner now, Dave Cocker, and I, I told him what I wanted to do with this platform. And from there, uh, he helped me build it out. And what it is, is essentially what we do is we go in with the players on their individual level and their game film. And we start interjecting our knowledge and our experience into, into these scenarios and helping them understand the information. Basically what it is, is it's an information share with these players to help them in their games and understanding the details of what it takes to succeed, what to look for. Like, you know, when you're talking about when I walk off the half hole, there's just a couple, there's, there's three or four details in this that are very transferable. As long as you can articulate it. And then with the Instat account, you can diagram it. So what, what that does for them is you give them the information and then you start to give them these, these videos that helps them build picture memory of that situation. And then from there, you can also give them the practice plans that it takes to go into it. So the half wall move that you're speaking about, I know very well, it's a lot of footwork and it's a lot of manipulation and it's 
but it's, I don't want to say it's easy, but anybody can really do it. It just takes that work. You got to know what to work on. You got to know. You, easy for you to say it, Mr. Through no, I promise you. <laughs> I promise you. So it, it's, next it's, time, it's next time you're in Toronto, you're, you're, you're taking me out for a lesson. All right. I got you. Cool. <laughs> no problem. Cool. Yeah. So then from there, I, I thought, you know, like doing it on my own, uh, as far as like just as a one coach is one thing, but I really want to have an impact on the game and, and have a, a way to, again, impact the games. So I started calling people, friends and people in my network, and I, I just explained them what I want to do. And I, I want to see if they'd be interested in coming on board. You know, Danny Sivret, you know, Freddie Meyer, Glenn Metropolitan. And on the women's side, we have an amazing cast of girls. Um, and then, you know, I got passionate about the women's game as well. I worked out with Rebecca Johnson and Bailey Brom, uh, David Bull and I back in London. And I don't know what year it was, maybe 2008, 2009. And the way that their passion and their drive for the game, it was, it was, it was eye-opening. And I had such an appreciation for what they were doing. So I've always had a passion for the women's game and trying to help them grow. Well, and I thought that first, this would be a... Sorry to cut you that? off, Robbie. Our, our first inaugural guest was just recently named the MVP and Rookie of the Year in the NWHL. Michaela Grant Mentis. So we're a huge fan of the women's yeah. game as well. So continue. I'm yeah. sorry to cut you off, but I just wanted to share that with you uh, because Michaela. I watched Grant some of her stuff. Yeah, I was watching her shifts actually. Uh, a buddy of mine said, "Hey, check this girl out. She's really good." Team Canada she never is. gives it. Team Canada never gives her an invitation. What's going on? <laughs> I don't know the Canadian politics, boys. I'm American. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, continue. So I called these I called these women's players up and I just told them so what I thought, you know, my my opinion on the game and it take it for what it's worth, it's my opinion. I'm, I guess I'm entitled to it, but I think that those high-end girls knowledge needs to go back into the game so you get these 12, 13, 14 year old girls understanding these details just like the boys do. You know, the boys you got like uh, you see like Vinny LeCavalier, Marty St. Louis coaching Peewee teams. Like think about how valuable that resource is. And the other thing about that is in some of the guys in the men's game, they get you know, they get paid to coach Pee Wee. So I wanted to do two things. First was get the girls' knowledge back in the game to the younger girls' game. And also at the same time, help them get, you know, paid and, and be compensated for being experts and having this knowledge, having this experience. So from there, we got it. We have some great girls on. Amanda Pelkey is an amazing mind, hockey mind. Blake Bolden is an amazing hockey mind, amazing person in the game. Uh, Brianna Decker, Rebecca Johnson. We had some girls from the NWHL, uh, goaltenders. We just, I put it, I tried to bring a, a big source of knowledge together. And the other thing, what I did with that as well is I don't want it this to be a platform where it's my vision and it's Rob Shrimp's way that I see hockey. By having 30 coaches on there, you have 30 different experiences, 30 different visions of the game, and 30 different, you know, sources of uh, information. Yeah, sure. So it's, it's a unique thing where you can come on and do a session with myself. And then on the flip side, you can do a, a session with Glenn Metropolitan where he might be able to show you different things. Let's say it's face-offs or penalty kill. I can flip around on the power play. You know, D-man, if they want some offensive stuff, they can come to me and then go to Danny Segretta or Freddie Meyer. So it gives a player a chance to really kind of put their game together from different aspects. And, and what I saw with this before I built it, I thought, like, it's my opinion, like, you're kind of stuck to the resources that are in your community. So whoever the coaches are there, and sometimes it might be great. You might have Vinny as your coach. That's amazing. It's unreal. You, you know, but there's also places in the world that don't have those resources. So this, this, there's a ceiling to how high the players can grow. When you have a platform like this in the collection of great players, great hockey minds, it's a chance for that to spread globally. Whoever has hockey games on video and their games are videotaped, 
we can take those and insert our knowledge into them. So it's really powerful in that regard. You know, that's not to say that it cuts out every other tool that's out there for hockey and development, but with this, my mindset was when I remember doing videos, always about the systems, the team systems, you know, or your, for me, your lazy back check. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you're getting called out by the coach. You know? Oh, yeah, just got some <laughs> I used shit to, I used to hate video. Oh, here oh, we go. go. <laughs> Come on, man. You're going to show that? Why don't you show my three bar downs? You're going to show the back. <laughs> no, but so that was the way to, I just thought, like, what, what was the game missing? It was that individual work. And, and, you know, it is a team game. I do understand that concept. And you got to put out, when you come on, put on the sweater, you are playing for the team. But there is an individual side of this. And when a puck turns over on the forecheck, what do you do? How do you execute? What are the details on how to create a, a scoring play? Um, that I don't feel like that part was translated well through my career. And I, th I don't think it is now. I mean, it's starting to grow. There's more skill development stuff. But, um, yeah, with these high-end coaches in our platform, they all understand what, you know, for me, it's like kind of the scenario, like on a two-on-one, -on what are you doing? Like, what are you looking for? Here's the details. It's not just like you're on a two-on-one, you better shoot. Like that's kind of what you get told, right? Yeah. You pass you, but like, if you want to pass it on two and one, I can teach you what to look for. Yeah. Here's how you attack the triangle. Here's what you got to look for. Is your is your backdoor person? Are they in line with that triangle? If they're not in line with that triangle, that's their fault. It is your time to shoot. So giving them the confidence and the information, you know, the details on how to execute and not do things just to do them or do things because you're told. It's more it's more powerful to be in that situation and know all all the information on how to execute. It's pretty cool. And I was, uh, so I was checking out, you know, the 44 vision site and stuff, and you had some pretty great, uh, testimonials from, you know, some guys that are still playing in the NHL today. Um, you know, we know Rob Shrimp as like, you know, the goal scorer, you know, getting the points, the skills, the shot. Um, but when they were, you know, talking about your program and Rob Shrimp, you know, they brought up, you know, the vision, you know, and it's in your name of the, of your company, but, you know, Patrick Kane was like, you know, his vision, you know, yeah, when I was 12 and watching him when he was 14, I was in awe and I was goo goo gaga over Rob Shrimp, but he was like, he has this vision of the game, Corey Perry, same thing, your vision, like, how cool is that to like, have those guys. Right. Well, also Rain Carnegie, right? You can throw me in the mix with Patrick Kane. <laughs> well, I didn't see you on the testimonial, bro. <laughs> but you just, but, you just had this unique yeah, way. So. You weren't the fastest guy. You had the nicest hands, but you were able to create time and space, whether it was five on five, penalty killing, power play, the, the way that you were able to create time and space. And then when you didn't have time, make a play. Mm -hmm was like second to none. But yeah, so like how cool is it that those guys are just, you know, recognizing that and then keep, you know, holding you in that really high regard saying, you know, Rob Shrem had the vision too that no one really talked about. Yeah, it was it was really gratifying and it, made, it meant a lot to me, but it was also in the beginning of this thing, I, I, that's what I did. I did clips for these high-end guys and just said here, you know, it's basically free information. Just take it for whatever, it's my opinion, but here's what I think this could help. And that was the feedback that came back. So it was kind of something that gave me a lot of confidence to launch this platform as well, you know? So when you kind of come up with ideas, sometimes you, you think you got something that's great, but you don't really know it could be theory. It started to become proof. You know, when you got a guy that's making 10, $11 million in NHL, one of the best players in the world, if not the best has that opinion and, and understands the value of what, what I showed him. Um, 
it felt good for sure. So it was something, again, if that guy can, you know, if I can add value to that player, then I know I can add value to your 13, 14 year old kid and giving them the details and, and how to execute. And it's not, again, that's what I tried to build this platform on, not theoretical stuff. Like when I'm working with you as a player, I'm telling, I teach you all the stuff as far as like, even what it feels like to be under that pressure. And like what the information is, how to escape in that situation and feel comfortable in it. So um, yeah, that really gave me kind of proof of concept and it made me feel good about pressing forward and, uh, to read those words. I, I don't know. I was like a giddy kid. I, I, again, like Rainer says, I'm younger than him and Kaner's younger than me. And I admire that kid and I love sure. watching him play. And I'm a big fan of him. I'm a fanboy of Patty Kane. I, I I'm a fanboy. That's my favorite player in the game right now. If you were in the yeah. game, it would be like one, a one B, but Patrick Kane, that <laughs> yeah. man can ball. He can play flat out For ball. Sure. What a compliment. Yeah. But, but so also, that was great in Paris. Yeah. Paris, obviously getting a lot of time with Paris. And we met, I met Kaner when he was a kid. He was coming up, he watched us in London and uh, they were looking to kind of figure out if they're going to come to London or, or not and getting a chance for him to watch watch us there in London, David Bull and myself and Dylan and, and tear it up. I think that was kind of a really a motivator for him to come there and see how we electrified the building. Because the next year that he came, he did the same thing. And, and I like, I'm not going to take any credit for Patrick Kane's success, but... I showed him what you could do in that building. And he came in the next year, he was an entertainer and he was an absolute stud. So um, we have a really mutual respect for each other and, and for him to, to put those words on paper for me was, uh, it, it was really gratifying and, and it was awesome to read. And, you know, he put up 145 points, tied the record, right? So I, it's, <laughs> I, saw, him, I saw him at uh, Corey Perry's thousandth game a year ago, I think it was, and they played Chicago and he he brought he made a reference. He's like, man, I couldn't get one more point. I wanted to beat you. <laughs> but did you? You should have told them then. You played one more game too, so I actually have the yeah, record. Yeah, there you go. Asterisk. Asterisk. It's asterisk. an asterisk. It's an asterisk. And, and then I want to touch on one more thing. Let's like, yeah, we just talked about the vision, but let's bring it back to you know the skill stuff because you know I like to you know refer to what you were doing as like the N one mixtape on ice, like when those basketball guys were doing all that N1 mixtape stuff, like you were doing that on the ice and it was like something brand new. And, you know, you've kind of started this trend in the hockey world. Like you go on TikTok, you go on Instagram, you go on all these social media platforms. Every kid. Like shrimp, is, shrimp, shrimp was the TikTok before the TikTok. Every kid's flipping their stick, doing the lacrosse stuff, doing this. There's a guy, uh, you know, he's mentioned you too because I follow him on uh, Instagram. Uh, Pavel Barber, uh, you know, he's, he's taking all your moves that you pioneered into the game. And he's making a living off it. Like, how cool is that that you've started this, like, whole trend in hockey, basically? And, you know, are you getting any royalties off of uh, Farber's <laughs> no. uh, no. moves or what's going on with that? Unfortunately not. I took, I took all the shit for it and I got nothing to show for it. So I, I took all the abuse and these guys no get the kidding. smooth sailing now. Like you, we no. were not allowed to be flashy back when we were playing. No. Like it was shunned no. upon. Now it's celebrated. Oh, I wish I got so. to play in this, in this game. I, I, I didn't have the feet. So maybe I don't want to play in this, yeah. in this, uh, in this NHL. But when we were trying to pull the fans out of their out of their seats, and I think that that's what started the the London Knights like perennial every year. Mm -hmm. They just keep coming, keep coming. You got Kane, you got Gagne, Marner, Kachuk, all these guys that came after you. 
like Corey Perry is Corey Perry, one of the all-time greats, Hall of Famer. A lot of great players that came in that program, but they're like it was first Rob Shrimp that was showed. You're like Magic Johnson at the JLC, <laughs> and and then after you, it like it like born Patrick Kane, Mitch Marner, all these guys after that yeah. pulled fans out of their seat that did things that people are just like, how did you do that? Like I never even <laughs> thought about doing that. Like. All of those things, like you were the original. You were you were a professor. Well, that's what I like to call him, professor. Are you like super flattered, or does it kind of piss you off that you took all the you know hate and now they're <laughs> reaping all the rewards, like one billion um, views? You know, it's like hey, I yeah. did that in you know two thousand three. I was I don't know when did that start for you? You know, like yeah, no, I started that at twelve years old. I started I played the cross and I started doing that and. Um, it was so much, it was so much fun, you know, again, like being, trying to be Michael Jordan, like be a really effective player, do whatever it takes to win. I want to compete and I want to win, but I, I could also bring you out of your seat at the same time. Like that's, you know, his dunk from the follow line with his tongue out, like <laughs> he dunked it and he had, his, you know, he had a basically an iconic moment. Um, so with the lacrosse stuff, I was doing it back then. It was not well received. I mean, I talk about this quite often, but so for me now in the game and watching the progression of it and, and seeing this stuff, I, I love it. I like the fact that it's moving the way. There is that little bit of a, man, you got to be kidding me. You know, because the, the flack that I took was an unnecessary. It was insanity. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I told a story this other day, but, like, there was one time where a bunch of scouts came to watch me, Mississauga from London. There was a group of them. And I was doing my, you know, sort of, stuff in warmups and, and the one guy's like, God, look at that cocky hot dog or whatever. And then, you know, Mark Hunter actually stuck up and goes, do, do you actually realize how hard it is to do that? Do you understand like how much skill it takes to do that? Like I just did my lacrosse thing. I took it off one foot, batted in the air, kicked it off one foot, kicked it off the other foot over my head, caught it in flight and went bar down. And one guy's chirping me and the guy, Mark Hunter, who's a great NHL player, unbelievable general manager was like, no, 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 no. Like, actually, <laughs> actually, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so it was like a weird balance. And you know, the other thing is my dad was at every game. So like when I was doing this stuff, there's people up there like talking shit the whole time. Yeah. Like it was such a weird, it was not received well. well I mean, right. I didn't. I wasn't oblivious to that either. I was also like, you don't like it? Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> so I like, I didn't really fold to it, but you know, seeing it now and watching how they do it in warm-ups, I'm happy because you know what? I think when I did that shit in warm-ups, it was also part of like entertainment. There's two parts of it. First of all, when you can do that high level stuff with the stick and with the puck, it's not easy. So then when you take your hands down to the ice, you start sticking on the puck. That's easy. And that's like, that makes the game super simple. You can play the cross with a hockey stick and a hockey puck. Playing hockey with a hockey puck and a hockey stick is it's like it really brings yeah. it to a level where it simplifies it. Um, and then the second part of it is when you're in that level in the OHL and you got fans and stuff, they love this. That's a piece of entertainment that's that's market marketability. And if you if you absorb it that way and use it that way, like that brings uniqueness to the game. But back then it's like again, you hot dog, cocky, thinks he's better than everybody. Like that that's how it was looked at. But now when the league's at four billion dollars a year industry and you got to find ways to drive revenues and be marketable and let guys be a little bit more personable it's great for the game it's not to spit in anybody's face it's not disrespecting the guys that played in the 80s it's not disrespecting anybody it's just like no offense to you guys but it's that old school canadian mentality a little bit of like you know humble stay everybody in one line but like that's okay i hear you but when you start talking about the revenues in sports and why other sports guys are signing contracts for 30, $40 million a year. And we're, you know, 
unbelievably eye dropped over a $10 million a year contract, their market, their marketing is different. And the players are individualistic in some sense. When the team game comes on and they check in, but when it's time to be an individual and show who you are as a person, they are allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I think it's like that. You have to be an entertainer, but also a competitor. And I don't, I don't For see anything sure. wrong with that. So uh, I, I like that the, 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 you know, the kind of leash is, is loosening in that regard. And you're getting the ISO cam on Matthews doing cool stuff and Marner doing cool stuff and all these other players that have dangles in their, their tool bag and they're doing it in warmups and they're celebrating it. So it's, mm-hmm. it is good. It does remind me of what I it took for <laughs> me to do it, but sure. I'm happy to see the game, you know, grow. That's yeah. amazing. And, and Rob, as I said, super fan, this has been like, I'm, I'm in awe yeah. of the time that you've shared with us. Uh, one thing that I wanted to, to see if you had the, a memory, like an elephant top prospects game, talking about all the skill that we see before we get into our, our, our last segment here, top prospects game. I remember watching it. Cause I was like, Here's my here's my my man crush Thursday. I don't know if it was on a Thursday, but my boy Robbie Shrimp's playing in the prospect game. Like I can't wait to see because you don't you there was no um, there wasn't TV like there is now. Like mm-hmm. there's not a lot of footage of I, I I can't seem to find a game film of when I used to play, but the top prospects game back when we were when we were going through junior hockey was something that was nationally televised. Mm-hmm. So now I get to see you know the best of the best, and here's my man crush Shrimpy. About to, I know what he's going to do. He's going to put on a show. And there is one play, and I want to know. I want to see if you remember this play because I remember it vividly because I used to, after watching you try this play, you didn't execute it, but you tried it. Uh, but I always tried to do it every practice thereafter. <laughs> you came up. You came up out of the corner. You were walking up the wall towards the hash marks to get a shot on net. But instead of taking a shot on net with the guy on you, you picked the puck up. And you tried to like a lacrosse style swing it on net, <laughs> and I was just like, "What was that? <laughs> like, what was that?" And I don't care; it didn't go in. That would have been the best goal that I had ever seen in my life. And from that point, do you do you remember that play? And and if you do remember yeah. that play, do you have you done that play and actually scored? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't tear two. I scored on him, and that one I had him. I was walking off, and I remember chance. Uh, what's his name? Chance from Mississauga with the goaltender. Oh, what was his name? Chance. I can't remember his last name, but I had him. I was walking off and I checked in the corner of my eye and he started to shuffle and to cheat to the blocker side. And it, that, that was like, I got him. And I picked it up and I spun around. I was going high glove with it. And as soon as I went to release it, the guy that was chasing me from behind, I hit his, basically hit his ass with it. And that swung the puck. It, it almost like, it almost killed this guy in front of the net. Uh, what was in the Jesse Schultz? The puck went like straight past his face. So it went from like almost went from zero to hero really quick. If I would have hit him in the face, it would have been such a you know what I mean. Like oh, man. then I would understand people being up there like that that cocky uh, hot dog or whatever. You know, I took a guy out trying to be a hot dog, but I I had it too. I, I saw the corner and I was going for it. I had it picked, and then unfortunately this guy. You had to mess up my moment. <laughs> See, and that's how much of a fanboy, because here I am reminding you about something that you did 20 years yeah, ago. Pretty cool. Literally, <laughs> 20 years ago, and I have vivid memories of it. Rob, I can't thank you enough for your time today. For sure. Uh, and sharing no problem, your guys. I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm yeah. happy to connect with you. Uh, we do a segment uh, at the end with all of our guests. We're hoping that you'll also participate called penalty or part of the game. Do we have you for 10 more minutes? Yes. Perfect. Wicked, wicked. 
Robbie Shrimp. What a guy. What a guy. So here we go. Our segment penalty or part of the game. Let's All right. go. All right. Penalty or part of the game. So you know what? Without giving it away right away, uh, Rob kind of has been talking about this, you know, these these moves, these lacrosse moves. But, you know, because we had Rob Shrimp, the pioneer. The original, the, yeah, the OG the, of lacrosse style. Of the lacrosse style moves. Yep. I thought a great penalty or part of the game would be the lacrosse goal. The Michigan State behind the net, picking it up, Tucking it home. Um, is that, are we going to see that more? Is that going to be a mainstay penalty or part of the game for, you know, years and years to come? Or do you think, you know, it's kind of a penalty and we got to take it out and go back to that, you know, old school mentality. Canadian. Canadian hockey way Canadian. like Rob uh, chirped us <laughs> on. What do you think, Reno? Yeah, I'm going to start it off. I want to I wanna have Rob's opinion at the end here yeah. today. Okay, okay. Um, for me, uh, I think that it is a penalty. I think that I'm going to go the opposite way. I was a guy. Now I'm coaching now. I'm coaching now. I would like it to be a part of the game more frequently, but the reason why, and I'm going to throw a curveball here, the reason why I'm saying it's a penalty yeah. is because for guys like me, who okay. didn't have hands like guys like Rob okay. and couldn't pull that move <laughs> off, I used to get mad. I was also, you know, yeah. a fan too. So I'd be like, man, that was sick. <laughs> but like, screw you for having nice hands like that. Why can't I do it? Like a hot potato, hot potato, you know? So, so I, as a fan, yeah. <laughs> part of the game, if it's not being done to my beloved Leafs, <laughs> right? If it's not being done to my beloved Leafs, then part of the game. But penalty, because I can't do it, so. trying to teach my son and the boys how to do it, can't teach them how to do it. And Rob is all the way in Latvia, so he can't help me, but maybe he can with 44 vision. True, so, true. Penalty, okay. but part of the game. All right. So, you know what? Me and Rain never agree on this kind of stuff. And every episode, he's always telling everybody that we never agree. So, perfect for me to go next because I'm going to say, we'll let Rob be the deal breaker. I'm going to say it's definitely part of the game. Um, you know, you don't have any hands. I know, and I still love it. Okay. All right. All right. But, you know, I think it's part of the game because, you know, these guys who can do it, like, all the kudos to you for being uh, able to pull hey. that off. Look at uh, Trevor Zegras, that, the young American kid. Hell of he a tried kid. his first NHL goal was an unsuccessful attempt, but he tried to tuck it in. Like, imagine that's your first NHL goal. That like, nasty. it would have been nasty. And I think it's only really been done uh, three times now in the NHL. I think it's uh, Shevchnikov. Shevchnikov. Uh, twice. Twice, yeah. And then I can't remember who the other guy is who did it. Forsberg. There you go, Philip Forsberg. Yes. So it's only been done three times, so that that just tells Which is you, why it should be a penalty. Well, that just tells you how hard it is. And, you know, I saw a really cool clip the other day in minor hockey. The kid actually did a fake out. So he, like, pretended to pick up the puck and... You know, everybody yeah. went to him, and I think the other kid just went and like scooped it, made a, a pass in front, or a wrap no, a wraparound. Around. It was a wrap Goalie around. was yeah. going the other way. Yeah, it was, it was sick. around. So now they're like, 
there's this innovation, like it's, it's the, a, evolution. the evolution, the evolution of like, professor of Professor Shrimp. Yeah, exactly. The it evolution. all comes back to the it pioneer, all comes back right? To the pioneer, so the OG. you know, it's definitely part of the game, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, but, so but, but but you and I, and I'm not sure Shrimp. We didn't we didn't talk about if he's coaching right now because mm -hmm. he's playing, so he's probably just coaching yeah. the players that he's, that he's playing with. Yeah. But you and I were coaches. Yeah. So what if you had your coach's hat on right now and you saw a player like Rob Shrimp on your team try that move when I'm wide open in the slot for a 1T strong side and then he gets jammed up, the goalie saves it, they turn the puck, go up ice, break out, go down the ice. Now is it a part of the game or is it it's a penalty? Is that, kid, is that kid that didn't see me, if Rob Shrimp didn't see me, well, uh, let me explain. It's still a part of the game because the only guy who took flack for that was poor Rob Shrimp because I'll tell you right now, <laughs> nobody yelled at Trevor Zegras for trying it on his first NHL goal and missing the guy in the slot. So, That's you great. know, I want to thank you for, you know, paving this way for our young hockey player, our athletes, you know, and uh, definitely part of the game. And I'm excited to see It's a penalty if any of you guys look me off in men's league trying to do <laughs> that move. Any of my teammates in men's league when we get back to playing, if you try that move and I'm in the slot, definitely going to be you a penalty because we're going to yeah. be getting a five-minute fighting major yeah, I think for looking me off. And I'm excited to see where it, it goes and how far this thing goes, you know. Um, Rob, Rob Shred. Closing remarks. Let's go. Let's hear, uh, let's hear your take. It is definitely part of the game, and I'll, I'll give you uh, more of a breakdown of it. <clears throat> you know, so for your, Rainer, your, your scenario, is, I'm going to say it again, it's, that's, the, that's the Canadian one of like, what if there's a guy wide open? It's like the worst one, right? Like, yeah, if there's a guy wide open in the slot, you're, now you're selfish, right? But um, how else would, you know, let me ask this, how else would you score from behind the net? I mean, so that's the thing with the lacrosse stuff. I know it's, you know, coffee, hot dogish, but like if you can learn how to pick the puck up. So right now, the way that everybody's sticks are, they're so active, they're so good, and they're so accurate. Poke checks and footwork. Now when you take the puck off the ice and you put it up in the air, you've now brought in another dimension of the game. Like now my stick is up in the air. Now this guy's got to swing his stick at it to try to get it off my hands. <laughs> so there's that piece of it. You can bring it the air dimension of the game into play. It's now an advantage. Now you can't get boxed in so easily with an angled stick, you know, and then to the other part from behind the net the lacrosse goals that like, how else would you score from behind the net? So is, would it be okay that if I was behind the net, I took it and tried to bank it off the goalie missed, it went out of the zone. They went down on a breakaway. It'd be accepted in today's game. Oh, I tried to get it on net. Well, no, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like the worst spot to shoot from. Yeah. Um, you know, if you try the lacrosse move or the special golf or the we call it the Mike leg, because that's really who gets credit for it. And that's the guy that did it first. Yep. Um, if you if you go to stuff it and a guy, you know, knocks it down or whatever, the puck sits right in front of the net. Now that creates a second chance. It's a lot easier to create that second chance than it would be, again, to bank it off the goalie from the behind the net. So I think in that argument sake of it, that's why I believe in it. And it's a super high end skill thing. So now we take it to the other side of being effective and entertaining. It's, it's more entertaining. More people talk about it. It makes more highlights. And instead of turning it back and cycling it or holding it behind the net for another 30 seconds, you know, something like that, I think it's huge. I think it's huge to like, again, that part of it is you're trying to score a goal. How else would you score from back there? There's no other way. Like not really, not no other way, but the other way is not <laughs> yeah. much different. Uh, it's still risk and reward from trying to shoot it from there. Right. But, and I, I like the entertainment value of it. I think, if you can figure out a way, I watched the guy growing up play lacrosse in Syracuse, one of the greatest of all times, Gary Gate, and he created the air gate. 
uh, in field lacrosse, he went from behind the net. You can't, you know, if, I don't know if you guys know lacrosse, you're not allowed to step in the crease. Wow. And the crease goes all the way around the net. So what he did was ran from behind the net, jumped in the air, because you can go through the crease in the air. He jumped in the air and wrapped it over the top Tucked of the crossbar. Tucked it in, wow. Tucked it in, the air gate. <laughs> the air gate. How else would you score from behind the net? I, I, love, that. I love that. Amazing. So that's my take. It's part of the game for sure, and I think it's good for the game. Absolutely. Cool, that's, man. That's amazing. Um, before you go, uh, you, uh, you know, you're talking about being a travel player, you know, growing up. You've been a travel guy now for, you know, the last few years, KHL, this HL, you know, you've been all, um, the not calling you a suitcase, but you're, just uh, call me a suitcase. What I'm getting at. Come to terms with it, man. No, man. Come to terms. No, and honestly. I came to terms with it a long time ago. No, but it's amazing. Like you've played in every top elite league that you could possibly play in like Swedish elite league, uh, the KHL, you know, uh, Latvian league. Um, what, but what I was getting at, I wasn't meaning to call you a suitcase. Uh, just like, you know, you're, you're living in Latvia now, kind of how's life now and with your program and you know, what, what do you, uh, what's going on in Latvia? Like give us, us guys from yeah. Canada, you know, before you go, just kind of fill us in. Fill us in on what yeah, Robbie's no, doing and how we can follow you, and then we'll let you go. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, I've been doing just really growing, the, growing the, the platform 44 Vision. I want to make it global, and I'll be doing a lot of stuff over here when things kind of get back. Got vaccinated, so I can kind of be, I'll be able to travel pretty soon here. But um, you know, to your point too, with, with playing in all those leagues for me, it was you know not obviously not how I wanted my career to go. I would like to probably still be playing in the NHL today. It didn't go that way, but what it did give me in the blessing and silver lining of that is I got a chance to see the top leagues in all over the world. So it really broadened my horizons in the sense of my hockey knowledge and, and how I see the game. So it's not so, you know, because I think if you've only seen one set of hockey being played, it's like North America, it's played a certain way. It's played totally different over here and it's not right or wrong. And I think even before I came over here, I didn't have a clue what was over here. And then when I got here, I really got to appreciate there's some sick players over here. And you're starting to see it in the NHL. You're starting to see a lot more Swedes, Finns, every nationality. So, I mean, you know, I think three or four Latvian guys in the league. Um, there's a lot of great hockey players out there and there's different ways to play the game. So it was really, again, brought my horizons, gave me a chance to, that's, that's something I have now as a resource and I can share with players. So it's not grabbing European players and saying, you got to play this way in North America. I can actually teach them how to play in that rink in that bigger rink, bigger size, how to create. Um, so that's what I look forward to over here is really doing some consulting stuff, growing out the brand of 44 vision and open up the opportunities to, to other places. Um, you know, building out, other, other organizations, bringing, the, again, the resource of all those coaches that we have, especially the women. I really want to grow that game and bring them to the forefront and have them grow globally. And, and you know, that's the other thing. You get to the other countries, other women's programs in other places like Switzerland, Austria, uh, Germany to grow with the girls, like I mentioned, Pelkies, the Boldens, these girls putting their knowledge in. I'm excited for that growth. And um, that's really where, where I'll be at. And might be coming back to North America whenever, whenever it gets safe. I'd love to come back in that area in Toronto and, and do some stuff. And, um, but I'm, I'm really passionate about coaching now, even last year, it was fun to get back for a minute, but my passion now is in the gratification of teaching other people and showing them, you know, the game a little bit and giving them the tips and, and opening up doors for them for their success. And, you know, my time's passed, so to speak, and it's, it's now time to 
to be the, uh, I guess, maybe like the, the grandfather, the old man. <laughs> and maybe a career in uh, trick shots on TikTok if you ever open it. I, I have to get an account, man. You got to get, get an account, get, man. You got to get like, an account. You need you know, to put the dad bod, the dad bod butt angle. That video should that be like viral. a million views already. That will go viral like, on TikTok. Just that, for just for that video. Just put make the account, put that video on there, call it a day. Yeah. <laughs> Should I call it? Should I get that? I'm, that's going to be my tester, right? I'm going to do it. I'm going to open up a TikTok and I'm going to call it dad bod. That's it. Skilled dad bod. Skilled dad bod. That's it. I love it. Man. Love it. Because you saw it. Will Smith just came out with a picture. Oh, yeah. He made it cool. Yesterday. Hey, he made it cool. Worst shape he's ever been. And all the dads are now posting their selfies uh, with Will Smith <laughs> in their dad bod. So I was like, I even took a picture that I have on my phone. I was going to submit it too with my dad bod <laughs> to see what the 12 week big that's Willie crazy. challenge no, is. So where can we find you on Instagram real quick? Uh, uh, I'm at Rob, Rob underscore shrimp and 44 vision hockey has, uh, we have our, our Instagram there. Same thing, all, all social platforms. We have a Twitter account. I like to do a lot of videos for the social medias and, and just giving out kind of snippets of information uh, more just for education, doing some clips and breaking down some things and putting out information. So if you guys want to tune in, I try to give out as much as I can there and some knowledge that helps and, uh, you know, show what we do a little bit with the platform and promote the platform, but at the same time, kind of just giving out free information to help players all around the world. Cool. And then uh, at Dad Bod Skills on TikTok, right? That's uh... that's. We'll see. It's not coming tomorrow. Just, I don't know if I just fully committed to it, but yeah, I'm, think, I'm 90 in. I think you're all in. You're gonna be like, whoa, this is super successful. What's going on here? It's, no, been, it's cool. Man. It's been an absolute joy, For brother. Sure. I know it's late, so I can't thank you enough for giving us this time of yours. Uh, I want to reach out to you tomorrow to talk more about 44 Vision off air uh, to see how awesome. I can get my team Absolutely. or whoever. We're, yeah, we're both coaches. We're both coaches so in the AAA we, level in the GTHL. Just what you were explaining, we could uh, really benefit. Benefit our players. Well, that's just to, just not to drag it out, but like that's the other thing, and, and understanding like youth hockey stuff too. So our our platform is built around that to support the players individually. When you're a coach coaching youth hockey like you're coaching 20 kids it's tough to do that breakdown and it's not a knack against the coaches like mm -hmm. looking after 20 people is time consuming and you're looking after you, know, you got to think about structure and it's tough like even doing structural work for the video takes two or three extra hours a night so it's it's time consuming and we want to be more of a support beam than a competitor to the coach you know right. uh helping their, their teams out and it's I try to make that message very clear. We're not, I'm not looking to take any bench job. I'm, I literally want to help individual players. If we take a guy and it's a five goal scorer or a girl that's a five girl, uh, five goal scorer, the next year they're scoring 12 to 15 goals. That only helps that coach's team. And it's, you know, again, if they don't have the time to do it, it's not, we don't, we don't need the credit. The coach can take the credit, do the presser and say, yeah, we work really hard in the off season. <laughs> <laughs> Fine by me. Yeah. Awesome, cool, buddy. Man. Well, thank you so much, Robbie. Get some sleep. Yeah. Appreciate uh, oh, it. Was it 2 a.m. there now? Like, yeah, it's, it's late. We I appreciate go. your time so much, man. That was awesome. Thanks, Thanks boys. So much, Talk bro. to you soon. Yeah. yeah, brother. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Oh, wow. Wow. Rob, shrimp, everyone. I can't wait. Till the borders open so that we I can, can get his brain. No, like so I can get an autograph and I can get a picture. No, I'm not calling you. you I'm going to keep him to myself. <laughs> Rob, like, you might want to stay away from me. You might <laughs> yeah. want to stay away from like, me. Like all your people, you're like, no, no, no. My crazy co-host, <laughs> you, can't, you can't talk to this guy. He's like.
What's that Wayne's World movie where the guy's all over? He's like, yo, leave me alone, man. I love you, man. I love you. Yeah. So, what an interview. You know, yeah, it's like that. We're not worthy. What an interview. What an interview. Great guy, man. Like, and, you know, just appreciate him sharing all his knowledge and his stories and his experiences. You know, like, I know we went a little bit long there, as we tend to do. Yep. But, like, conversations like that. Where do you stop them? Like, you can't. Where like, do you stop so them? They're so valuable, not, like, for us, but our, our viewers, our, our listeners. Like, that that information and those conversations we were having with him is just, like... Priceless. You know, priceless and timeless. And timeless. Like, and I, timeless. You know, it's... and. It is what it is. We are who we are. We are who we and are. He is who he is. He is who he is. You know? It doesn't look like we're ever gonna have a short podcast, <laughs> a, sh- a short, short one. But when you have content like that, yeah, you know, like, and what a great guy. I'm so happy for him. And you know, all the success he's had. Forty four vision. And it's he it's came back out of retirement wearing the four or five like Jordan. <laughs> like Jordan. All all these guys on TikTok <laughs> stealing all his moves. All he's like, no, 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 you young whippersnappers. Now you got me out of retirement. Crazy. Now you got me starting my own TikTok account with my dad bod. Like, I show you guys how it's done. You know, I, and it's, you know, we're a little older. We're not part of that social media craze world. We're trying to tap into it. We have our little TikToks, but, you know, I don't think he realizes. The potential. Like, the potential. And it's like how, you know, people are going to like gravitate to like oh my god this is the originator of the lacrosse stuff like this you know like you know it's just super cool to me and you know i know you're a big fan as you've you showed him but like you know i was a little more reserved but man i'm a huge fan of him his as well crazy and just so thankful for robbie shrimp for being on our show and thank you you guys. Thank you guys. Everyone for tuning in. Subscribing. To part of the game. Liking. Um, we're here. Commenting. We're here. We're here. We're not going anywhere. We're always here. You know, we're trying to just put give you guys the best content so that, you know, you could educate yourselves while we educate ourselves and we all get some good education together. That's it. It's a, it's That's a, it. It's a joint effort. Don't forget to follow us on all of our social media platforms. Talking about Dad Bod TikTok, we have all of our socials down on this side, this side yeah. on that we side, that yeah, up in this corner. We got uh, our audio only on all our podcasts. Audio stuff, only, you know? yeah. Like Spotify, check that out. If you are going a little long, jump on there and just, just put us in. You don't have to on. see his face. People you can just listen to his voice. Listen to the boys on the potty. What else you got to do? We're still in lockdown on day. 776. That's to the minute that you just gave us. Yeah. <laughs> he knows. Yeah. He knows. So what he else you got to do? What else you got to do? We're what giving you guys something fresh. Be love. No, again. Be aggressive. No. Be a part of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Woo! All right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Cheers.